We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you guys listen to another episode of the Corner Podcast, make sure you guys show your support for the show by clicking on patreon.com slash the corner podcast and showing support for both Andreas and myself. We're trying to bring you guys exclusive content for the new year. That means exclusive shows, guest interviews, fan appreciation episodes, a little bit of everything on a weekly basis. And the way you get that is by signing up on patreon.com slash the corner podcast. There's different tiers, whether you guys want to donate $5, $10, or $15 a month. You guys get exclusive content and access to us, yes, both Andres and I, every single week. And this way, we can bring you guys the stuff that you want, such as merch, live shows, and even bigger episodes of The Corner Podcast in 2019. Thank you guys for your support. Now let's get into this week's show. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Back again, Kel Dansby here with the old man Andreas Hale. It's been a packed week. I feel like we say that every week, but this past week has been packed with pro wrestling. So, smile on my face. We get to talk about a ton of that to close the show today. Um, Great boxing to talk about with almost damn near the upset of this decade, maybe this century, that occurred past weekend, and then a lot of MMA to preview this weekend, UFC 238. But Dre, we have to start with, I want to say it's social media, but it's more than social media. And it's this conversation that we, we have a lot about, you know, black culture and the importance of, you know, 
someone who is black telling black culture and being able to tell our story our way. And man, I saw you talking about it. I was on that kind of Netflix hiatus for a second. But then when she started talking about it in front of the show, AJ Springer started talking about it. When they see us on Netflix. And this shit was just crazy. I started watching it yesterday. And uh, I need to take breaks during it, man. You guys didn't warn me. You guys didn't give me fair warning before I started this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tough watch. Um, you know, I've been familiar with the Central Park Five story for a long time. And uh, Raymond actually follows me on Twitter, which is interesting. Um, the Puerto Rican kid. Uh, he's been following me on Twitter for quite some time. So he had told me about this project about, I want to say, a year and a year and a half ago. And that Ava DuVernay was connected to it. And immediately it piqued my interest. But, um, you know, they dropped the trailer earlier this year and it got everybody interested. And then uh, I don't think anybody was ready for what they were, what they saw. Um, I'm still I can't get to the fourth part. I just finished part three last night. It's it's a difficult watch. And I know that there's some people out there that's, you know, saying they're not mostly ready to watch something like this. It's tough, man. It's yeah. really tough, especially. Uh, you know, for me, because I have a 13-year-old nephew who is, the boy is about, he's about 5'9 now, 200 pounds. Yeah, I think you might be short-changing him. I'm six foot. He's damn near my height. Yeah, he, I mean, he's big. <laughs> the boy is big. And, you know, he's the nicest boy in the world. Um, you know, all he wants to do is play Fortnite. You know, he's, he's a teenager. And to see, you know, these kids range ages 14 to 16 get accused of, five of them, raping a woman who was jogging in Central Park. The thing that got lost in this is that people forgot they were kids. Um, for all the time they talked about the Central Park Five throughout the years, you never put a, real, a face on the, uh, and I'll, I'll call them the victims. Yeah. Because, yeah, even though the jogger was a victim and the man that raped her, uh, he ended up raping like four other women. I know he killed somebody um, and confessed much later uh, in, in prison to one of the Central Park Five. But... You know, we never got to see the faces that understand, especially this generation, understand the Central Park Five were children. And, they, you know, and we were all children one time. But when you see it and what Ava did with this series, it's, it's hard to digest that, you know, that they wanted the death penalty. Like Donald Trump wanted the death penalty for these children. Um, the accusations like them piecing this thing together and trying to, you know, find, find a bunch of fall, fall people. And they found f- five people. Um, and, and another series I would recommend when you watch this is the confession tapes. If, if anybody's watched the confession tapes on Netflix, you kind of understand the process of what the police do to get confession, false confessions out of uh, the accused. And they use this. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it takes you through four steps. The, uh, the original incident, the courtroom, the third part is when they first get out of jail. And I'm just getting to the fourth part. It's man. I can't recommend it enough. I think it, it's, it should win a bunch of awards, but whew, man, it's, it's difficult. It is difficult to digest. Yeah, man. It's just, it's, it's cringing. So you're watching it and I, I had to stop between what episode two and three. Cause it was just fucking up my whole mental, like my whole, my whole mood change. I, I was just cranky and grumpy and angry just off of watching it. And I was like, yo, hold on. Like, my, I need to watch some, like, funny shit for a second. I need to, like, snap out of it. It was that real. And, uh, you know, kudos to Ava. She painted that picture so well. 
Yeah. And this shit, I mean, it's a total of six hours, so she had time. But, yeah. man, she just, just the instant attachment to the characters and, and yeah. to the real people. It what took like 30 minutes into the series? I mean, as soon as you saw them, it, it, you immediately recognized that these were children that were about to get falsely accused of a heinous crime. I mean, five people raping a woman. Um, it's not unheard of, but... It's just you see these boys and you're just like, this is this is ridiculous. And I mean, again, kudos to Ava. And I kind of I tweeted last night because I followed Ava throughout her career because a lot of people don't know, like Ava was a rapper once upon a time. Like Ava. Ava <laughs> Who Ava, was Ava, it? Right. I got to yeah. love it. But there was a uh, there was a, um, a, a she did a documentary called The Good Life. It was about The Good Life Cafe in California. And if anybody's like a hip hop fan, they would know like has like Micah Nine, Freestyle Fellowship. That's where they came from. And I was a big fan of like AC Alone and all those cats. So to know that Ava was in that circle, I was immediately intrigued. So when I saw that she did a movie called Middle of Nowhere back in the day and I saw that, but then I saw that she did The Good Life and I was like, whoa, her? So it's like, I mean, hip hop is everywhere. And, and this woman, is, I believe she's 46 now. And I mean, she's done Selma. She's done 13. She's done uh, When They See Us. She's, she's, I mean, wrinkle in time. I mean, for a woman to have that kind of vision and be able to masterfully tell stories, I mean, that's kind of what the culture is all about. And that's like the thing that I preach more than anything else is proper storytelling. Like storytelling, mm -hmm. everybody has a story. And she's been able to weave these stories together unlike any other director or filmmaker that I've seen in recent memory because they're all relevant to the culture. You know, she's not just arbitrarily making movies to make a few dollars. All these movies have significant meaning. Selma had meaning. So and Martin Luther came from a different angle. Uh, you know, when they see us, obviously has meaning. Thirteenth, I mean, the Thirteenth Amendment. Anybody who hasn't seen that on Netflix, you're bucking. You need. Yeah, to that show was incredible too, man. You know, th that's what she's all about. And for this, I mean, I know there's there's so much more that she's going to be doing. But good God, man, this it, it's a difficult watch. But kudos to Netflix as well. Um, strong black lead. They they keep killing it with these series with with black folks in them, and I love it. Yeah, man. They and they did a whole campaign about this last year, um, you know, with people of color and taking the lead and stuff. And they they are they're putting money in the right places. I will say that uh, when I had to take my quick break and hiatus to, like, get happy again, because that shit put me in like a horrible space. Um, I watched uh, they have this chick flick on there. Um, it's like Be My Maybe or some shit. Like, yeah, I haven't watched that one yet. It's so dope. It's such a dope yeah. rom-com. And it's Asian leads. And it's like, yo, and people, I've heard people talking about it and they're like, Asian? It's like, yeah, like why, why do rom-coms just have to feature white people? Constantly. Yeah, like there, there's no reason for that. It, it plays out just like a traditional white rom-com, but they're not white. And it's not, you know, rich, crazy Asians where they're the Asian stereotype, you know, just not a stereotype, but like the Asian culture is played to the front. Where it's like in the title, it's like no, they're Asian, but they're just normal ass people, and they tell a story that way. Like it's so it's cool. You know, Netflix is doing a bunch of cool shit like that. Um, but yeah, man, I, I got to power through. I got to finish when they see us. But man, that fucked me up for a second, and I was like, yeah, I was like, Dre and AJ sent me up for the okie doke because I don't do yeah. like the deep dive, like super sentimental shit a lot. And I was like, man, it's just, and it's a story that's been around for forever. You know, being in New York. Uh, my family's from Harlem. Uh, you know, being from 
just 116th and Lennox and all that. You you hear this shit. Like it's known. Um man, you there's comments like, oh, don't jog Central Park, all that shit. Like, you know, people say like wild shit or just just there's little sayings, people know of this, but I didn't I guess I was still I guess young. I grew up after it. But I just didn't know the ins and outs of like, yo, yeah, these kids were children. I was running like a knucklehead in New York at 13, 14. Like, just going to the park. Like, yeah, we were out at 3 a.m. regularly. Just on the block, running around, like going wherever. People understand that was part of New York culture. So people see this shit and be like, yeah, well, where are these kids' parents? That's one of the narratives I've heard. Like, yeah, it's horrible, but how dare their parents let them run around? At this time of night and all that shit. Like, one, the movie clearly portrays that perfectly. And all these parents had to work. Right. Like, these weren't, like, the greatest of households, FYI. Like, this is what people had to do to fucking survive. So, the parents couldn't have 24-hour surveillance on their kids. But this was, like, something normal in New York. So, when that part, like, played out and everything, I was like, damn, yeah, like, cool. That's some normal shit that you would do. And so many people have done it afterwards. Like, yo, what are you doing? Nah, it's 12 o'clock. Yo, we're... We're just gonna go run through a park. Fuck it, we chill. Like, all right, cool. Like, yo, we going to projects? Let's do it. And you just run around, no intent, no agenda, and it's just it's so wild, yo. That put me just in a whole whole different space. So, man, that was such a good, such a good show already. And I still got two more parts to finish up. So, man, that like fucked me up a bit. Um, other thing I saw, uh, and this one was on Twitter, and I'm glad it went viral. It was funny. But the shit was was really meaningful is there was I wish I grabbed the dude's Twitter name, um, but he works at a front desk at a hotel and the white woman calls him a nigger at some point. And he's just like, yo, nah, you can't check in here anymore. And he uses the phrase, it's above me now. And like, yo, that's all he says. And he has this white woman in, like on the bridge of tears. And she's like, I'm here for a funeral. Please let me in. The daughter comes, like, please, my family's going through so much. And that shit blew my mind. And shout out to that guy. I'm sure everyone's going to hit me up, and I'll find his Twitter as soon as the show is done, I'm sure. But, man, talk about how handling something perfectly with class. This is the good shit that goes viral. But it's just like, you know what, my man? This is something that happens every day. Yeah, show these people. And you know what? Don't feel bad that she was there for a funeral. Fuck it. She shouldn't have said it from the first place. Yeah, I mean... I saw it. I thought it was hilarious because it's like <laughs> what 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 caught me more than anything else is how well he kept his composure. Because it's I know me, you know, I go zero to a hundred real quick on something like that. But him, you know, he was just real like, you know, it's above me now. Like you can apologize. You can give me all your white cheers. Put them in that cup. I'll drink them. But it's above me. Like you're not checking in here. I have the right to refuse service to anyone. And it's, it's a lesson. It, but it's also another example of white people finding a way to play the victim. Like, no matter what they do, they still find a way to cry about it, and they try to make you feel bad about standing up for yourself. And that's crazy to me. And it seems to happen more often than not. Like, this man literally stood up for himself, didn't disparage her, just told her, you ain't checking in here. And she cried. I have a funeral. Should have thought about that before you called me the N-word. But, you know, (laughs) it's above it now. So it's like, you know, props to him. A lot of people deal with this racial insensitivity. it's sensitivity. Damn, why can't I talk today? Over here drinking soda. Um, but it's like it, it's hard to deal with, and a lot of people are shocked that it still exists like this. That that people are still dropping m bombs 
you know, callously. And people, people, I know people are like, racism isn't like it used to be. It doesn't have to be. Some of these people are just bold as hell. You know what I'm saying? So it's like for somebody. Yeah, that's to, new levels of bold. Well, I guess not new levels of bold. Right. But ignorant levels of bold. Like, how do you, yo, flip the script so fast? Like, how is that your first thought? Like, yo, we don't got no rooms left. Ah, uh, nigga, like, what are you talking about? Like, how is that the free flowing thing off of your tongue? I, I've managed 31 years on this planet without just randomly getting upset and calling someone a slur. It's not that difficult. I, I, I don't understand. I don't think we necessarily have that leeway. Like, who, who are we going to call a slur? Like, we can't just wild out, get mad, and just start throwing slurs around. That, I mean, that's crazy just, things. That, yeah, that's, that's innate privilege right there. That's, that's to your core. Where you just feel like, you know what, I can say this, fuck it. And then I'll just apologize and say sorry, and all's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's what these people think. But, again, props to him. He, he, was, he, was, he was above it. He was above it. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, his, uh, I hope he got a bonus check. Or nah, somebody nah. gave him a raise. People were <laughs> celebrating that he got to keep his job. And I was like, excuse yeah, me? which is crazy. I was like, what? Like, what in that video screams that he should be fired or let go? Why is this in question? He might have been better off losing his job because everyone would have gave him a job. Everyone in a mom. I saw it on Gabrielle Union's timeline. That's where I caught yeah. that shit. Like, everybody was behind this guy and how he handled it. And that catchphrase is going viral. He needs to make a shirt. He needs merch ASAP. That, that's the key. You go viral, you get merch. Don't let someone else do it, <laughs> Mr. Hale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go viral, you get merch that day. Uh, so, no, yeah, that, that shit was funny, man. That shit had me in tears. Uh, another thing on a brighter note, because I, I just started finding, like, happy shit to take my mind off of this. Freak Nick is back. No, it's not. Freak Nick is back. And uh, I posted on our Patreon, shout out to all the Corner Club members on there, uh, little highlight videos from our live show uh, last week, the Thursday show, Corner and Friends. And one of the topics on there is, uh, you know, your Freaknik story and guy getting kicked by a horse in the chest and you pondering if my mother went to Freaknik, which she said she did not. Um, she left out commenting on going to numerous Puerto Rican day parades and wearing a cat suit. She didn't touch that because that's a true story. But she was not at Freaknik. <laughs> uh, but they're bringing it back. Uh, it is June 22nd. Festival Atlanta. Dre. Are you not in the least bit intrigued? What if it's like old school Freak Nick? It's impossible. Old school Freak Nick would get a lot of people incarcerated. The Beat 2 movement would be out in full force, and uh, it wouldn't be a good look. This is not Freak Nick. This is Diet Freak Nick. This is the watered-down Freak Nick, which is fine. Times have changed. You know, It's not cool to just be running, all over, running up on women like they used to. But to call it Freak Nick is doing a disservice to what it was and the people that did experience it. There's, there's just no way. Like Daytona Bike Weekend out in Florida, like you can't do that again. I mean, like, that shit's just, still going on. That's still wild. It's a Black Bike Weekend. It's just, but it's still not the same as it what used to. With that, yeah, I guess the, I didn't know that was a big thing until I went to Kansas City. Those motherfuckers. That's like they they dreamt of going to that. Yeah, so it's like Freaknik is just. It's not. It can't. It can't be the same. The fact that there's camera phones eliminates a lot of the stuff that went on in the first place. People do like, a lot of dumb shit on camera, Dre. Nah, You're discounting how dumb people are really willing to be but, on camera. I'm just saying, like, I don't want. I wouldn't want to be out there. Like, I don't. <laughs> I don't think you wanted to be out there in the first place. 
well, I, I wanted to experience it. Like, being a kid from Vegas and going to Morehouse, like, Freaknik was on my agenda. Like, that's the first <laughs> thing I thought about. I was like, yo, I'm going to Morehouse, I'm going to go see the bands, and I'm going to go to Freaknik. And then somewhere along the line, I was like, I'm going to run into Outkast somewhere. But that didn't happen. But it was just like, yo, Freaknik is, was like the, because you only heard about it, and it was like VHS. There's like a small documentary on YouTube somewhere. And there's actually a podcast about Freaknik that's about to drop, I believe, in two weeks. Um, Mass Appeal is doing it. Fuck those guys, because they're really good at what they do. Um, <laughs> but they're doing a, an entire pa- podcast on Freaknik. So it's like... So just individual people's stories from Freaknik? I'm not even sure how they're doing. I think they're they're doing like I, I know it's like a uh, it's a it's a uh, episodic series. I think it's like eight episodes um, of all the years of Freaknik, the origins, the the. I, I have no idea how it's. Structured. Damn, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I love like episodic podcasts are my thing. Yeah, and and I love weaving like again storytelling. But that's what I'm going to be listening to, like participating in Freaknik in Atlanta in 2019. I don't want to see no parts of that. It, it just can't be the same. Listen, listen, listen to this lineup, Dre. Juvie. Headline, Juvie the God. That's a freak thing. That, there was never really, like, performances like that. Uncle Luke. But well, there wasn't performances. So what was what this built around? I'm, see, that, like, that, hold that, on, hold that, on, Wait, time out, time out. So this, at its core, was it a music festival? No, not at all. Like Freaknik, it was called Freaknik. It was literally about the freaks. You're telling me the freaks were the headliner, and people would drive miles and miles and miles without a true headliner just because they heard freaks were yeah. going to gather in one spot. No, it was like That's dude, Black Black Weekend in Florida was not built. Like people would perform, there would be a stage, the clubs would be popping, but it was never. This was not like rock the bell. I love that this there's was, just a random stage. Like there'll be a stage somewhere. Yeah, a stage would be erected, but that's no, not. No one cares about that shit. There'd be like a stage in like Buckhead somewhere. Like, because look, what would happen is it would take over the entire downtown Atlanta. So it was like a bunch of people just out in the streets, just being crazy. People playing their music crazy loud. You couldn't drive, so everybody, if you drove on the freeway, you had to get out your, your car and just walk. People just left their cars on the freeway to go party. I mean, it was some unruly shit. This is not, it's not a music festival. This is not Life is Beautiful or Rock the Bells or anything <laughs> well, like that. That's what they're kind of turning it into, because we yeah. got Uncle Luke, we got Bud B, Trina, Foxy Brown. <laughs> Like any any of them, any of them who are participated would know. Like, yeah, I might have performed it, but I was not. The focal point was not the arts, the artist ever. The focal point was finding you some baddies. Like that was the entire point of Freaknik. It was never. What was the about, focal point for the baddies then? What do you think? To just come out and show you cakes. Like you just like, ask. No, it's, so it's pretty much exactly why they show their ass on Instagram, but they had no Instagram, so they just had to do it. Freaknik. It's close proximity, man. It's, it, it was right there. And your job was to get with chicks. That was it. That was it. I just don't understand the chick's job. Like, I, I don't see the benefit of this. To for kick it. Like, yo, it's a <laughs> like, it was, it was Everybody would just be out kicking it. Everybody would drink. I mean, it would, it would be sun up to sundown. You would party. Wherever you were at, somebody would have their car stereo dumb loud or they have the radio, and people would just party. Anywhere. Anywhere in Atlanta. That's what I'm saying. It's the most unruly thing you could believe in, that you could possibly conceive. That's why it's like doing it now, you can't fathom it. You can't fathom freeways getting shut down. You can't fathom this. But yeah, that's, that's bananas. Well, this one's a music festival, Dre. It, it still holds the freak dick moniker. I yeah. mean, listen, man. Yigay Twins, Twister, Project Pat, The Brat, Dog, it's Scrappy, not 
Patrick Troy's before Pastor Troy's performing. Anybody know there's a, a Pastor Troy out here in Vegas who's an actual pastor. Every time they bring him up when I'm working at the station, I'm just dying. I'm in tears. But uh, Pastor Troy, Eastside Boys, without Lil Jon, is a good lineup. I don't even know who Black Dave is, but I'm intrigued. And I feel like this is, if there was to bring back the a remnants of the old Freak Nick, you got to just have a facade of it being a music festival. But that doesn't mean the Freaks ain't going to come out in droves to this. Just saying. It ain't Freak Nick. That's all I'm saying. It's not Freak Nick. The nostalgia of it. This I love it. This is where you sound like an old man. Like you youngins, that ain't no freak nick. Ain't no damn freak. I'll dick. tell you about freak nick. Back in my day, men yeah. were getting kicked by horses. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just a different world and people you know, y'all don't you really don't understand what you're getting into with that. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Um another thing I figured we you know, before we get into this boxing talk, um, take a deep dive into another subject which kind of crossed my path while I'm searching social media, putting the show together. And um, in our rundown, I didn't really explain this. I was like, okay, let me just put this in there. But what caught my eye is Sonny Kiss, who's with AEW, is trans and is a wrestler. Debuted in the, what, Battle Royal that they had? Yeah, Casino Battle Royal, yeah. Yeah, old school WWE talent and writer uh, Jim Cornette decided to speak up on his podcast and completely bashed this battle royal and uh, kind of the hokiness of it. He's one of those wrestling purists, to a sense. And uh, he decided to do a whole break off, which was very rude, about Sonny Kiss and, you know, calling her transsexual or... He said some worse shit than that. I can't even remember. I mean, I had the whole thing laid out. This shit's just disgusting. But he pretty much came off super tone deaf and uh sunny kiss handled it with the amazing air and just like you know what we're gonna let people say what they want to say i'm gonna keep performing he ain't stopping my checks and it made me think it's pride month i've seen a lot of that stuff going around and a lot of great parades and um i've had family members participate and all this stuff they're having a blast everywhere um and this shit looks so fun and it's crazy to see that like these old school People with voices in combat sports and people who are tone deaf is my key that really still feel they have a voice and to voice these ignorant things. And since it's Pride Month, I was like, okay, let me ask Dre this question because something we probably don't think about on a daily basis, but we should really discuss. Why don't we see more openly gay athletes in combat sports? Is it because of idiots like this? And I'm calling Jim Cornette an idiot. He's an idiot. Is it because of idiots like this who feel that they since they have a, a smidgen of a platform that they control what is right and wrong in combat sports and the purity of it, and somehow gay and trans don't fit into that? That's exactly it. I mean, being on black Twitter, you often lose yourself. Or black Twitter or basketball Twitter, whatever Twitter you're on, you often lose yourself and think that the world that surrounds you is based on your social media feed. Whereas Trump is the president, and a bunch of people voted for him, and there's a bunch of people who still think being homosexual is a sin among other things. So th- this world ain't ready for that. They're, they're not. Like, we might be ready for it as a community, but on a larger scale, and it's the one thing, and it's like, I, you know, I hate when I hear people say gay is the new black, because it's not. Gay is not the new black. Black is black. Gay is just gay. And you can't call it the new black, because if you're gay, you can 
choose to not come out, right? And it, it, it's a world of fear that we've created for the homosexual community. And they don't want to come out because they don't want to be ridiculed. That's why they, a lot of them hide it for so long. But they have that ability to do so. We don't. As black people, we're just we're black. You see us, you, like when they see us, they see us as black people. It's two different struggles. And we need to empathize with each other's struggles. We don't need to down another person's struggle. That being said, there's a reason why we don't see athletes entertain, like a ton of entertainers. Like there's some. But, but see, what's crazy of, is entertainment. I see a lot of gay, openly but, gay and successful people. It depends on what level it is, right? Because there's still, I, I guarantee you, there are still a lot of people who have not come out. There, there are a lot that li- still live in fear. Yeah, that, that's fair. But I mean, working in news, like there's so many producers who are openly gay. Like male producers, I'd say you, you're hard pressed to find straight ones in the news industry, newsroom. A lot of them are gay males. And they're like out and gay. And, it, and I was like, oh, is this like a thing in, you know, in news and television when I got into the industry? And I'm like, yeah. There was just like, it, there is, there's just like an influx. I don't know why, but I was like, okay, cool. Like that's dope. And then people were like, no, if you look at entertainment as a whole, like, you know, like the E! News, the this, that, like entertainment, movies, all this stuff. It seems like there's a lot more acceptance or maybe they just bogarted it. So fuck y'all, of, you know, and being out and proudly and openly gay or trans or whatever it may be. And... I just feel like combat sports it is on the opposite end. Like, if this shit is a snake, movies and television are the head of the snake. Combat sport is past the tail. Combat sport is the skin shed left in the background somewhere. Like we, what we have, we see Amanda Nunez. We one, we only see openly lesbian. Yes. Not even trans. So like lesbian, we see lesbian couples MMA. Boxing, kind of. I mean, you know, basketball, stuff like that. But openly gay males, I, I can't think of one. No. And, and the reason why is because, like, sports is still, unfortunately, considered a macho thing. There is a macho-ness about sports. Like, entertainment, like dancing, performing, the performing arts, news, broadcasting, all those things are considered to be done by anybody. Fighting playing ball, doing something that's considered masculine, it's not acceptable. Like, there, there becomes a talk about the locker rooms, it comes to talk about, you know, like, what, what they're, like, it's just, com- the combat sports, and sports in general, sports in general, is very, is, we can still carry this macho mentality where we're not willing to accept men coming at, as gay and being at the top of their game because for some reason, we still think it limits their marketability or their sponsorship opportunities or um, it's going to alienate the audience. I mean, dude, we still have like the 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 the, uh, the Bible Belt in the South is still super against gay people. So for a gay person to come out in combat sports, especially in boxing or MMA, where a vast majority of your money doesn't just come from salary, it comes from sponsorships. Um, and I'm not talking about the UFC, obviously. I'm talking about like Bellator and everybody else. You know, if you alienate a market that chooses not to support you, you you're losing money. So they, for, for some people, it's just easier to not come out. See, that's what's crazy. Because I feel like, maybe not pro wrestling. Pro wrestling aside, right? Because pro wrestling is scripted, all this stuff. So um, to me, that might be a little more difficult. Even though, you know, we, 
have kind of like back curtain access and we hear shit that other people may not hear. So, I mean, I, I've heard people talk about people who may be in locker rooms who may be gay. It's no one's business. But, you know, those things are out there, so it's, it's cool. But they're not, like, openly gay champions or anything. We, we'd get those accomplishments in retrospect. Right. Um, but in, in combat sports, it seems to me, like, if there's any platform where you kind of control your narrative, it's combat sports. Because if you're knocking everyone the hell out, they can't ignore you. Like, if you have the Deontay Wilder of skills and you're openly gay, they can feel however they want to feel about... You being openly gay, but you're just highlight real knocking motherfuckers out. You're pretty much going to be all right. Yeah, but they may not want to fight you, or they may not want to put you in a headline position. Like that's what I'm saying. It'd be like being gay in, in combat sports and sports in general. It it to some people still limits your marketability, and especially in a sport that is physical, like MMA or boxing. So we haven't gotten over that hump yet as a society. This isn't just something that, you know, it's not just a black community because, and I'll be clear, like, there's people on Facebook that I see these groups and all they do is talk about how they're trying to turn the world gay and, and I hate it and I hate what they're doing to our young men. I, sometimes I'm like, I can't even believe these people exist. Yo, that is a narrative, right? The demasculization. I've seen this shit. Uh, so, of the so, young men or the young black men specifically. I'm like, what are you talking about? So imagine if, you know, the biggest athletes come out the closet, like they're going to alienate a portion of their audience. We're not ready as a society to accept that yet. We're very far off from saying this is cool. It's like, you know, like we had a, a black president, right? But a gay president, we ain't ready for that. This country ain't ready for that. See, that's the thing. Like, I'm wondering, like, yeah, when, like, and that's what's so crazy. I'm trying, when I was writing this, I was like, yo, I'm trying to picture the moment of like the gay community getting their Kofi moment. Like yeah, long what, way to go. Yo, it does, right? Like, cause that shit would be nuts. In like the best of ways. Like, could you imagine well, WWE doesn't have a Sunny Kiss. And AEW's not to the platform where Sunny Kiss winning is like the most monumental shit ever yet. Uh but yeah, like if, if a top promotion with the lightweight champion three years from now in the UFC is openly gay. And people really can't fuck with him. Like, he's just, he just offering the hands to people. And I feel like that was kind of dialed down in the Nunez kind of conversation of how much history she made and being a champ champ and, and everything. Uh, but, no, that, but here it is, section, here it is. And she doesn't play it down. They really just don't play it up. But like, they don't market that. Like, they don't put that, that shit front and center. Like, oh, that's, by the way, she's incredible for doing this. But that's my point. That, is, that, that pr pretty much personifies why we don't have an openly gay champion or big-name boxer, especially in the male community. Fighting for women, they assume that they're gay, right? So the marketability is like, ah, uh, like this people, like, I don't want to see women fight. So who gets marketed the most? The pretty fighters. Mm -hmm. So the Paige Van Zandt, the Michelle Watersons, they put them in the front, the Pro Gonzalez. But they put him up as marketable. But for whatever reason, the UFC doesn't see an Amanda Nunez as marketable. Even though she's the first gay, openly gay champion, and she's a two-division champion and one hell of a fighter. Yeah. But, but, but the UFC's not even touching it. They They're did shirts once. They created custom t-shirts. Right. And, like, they did a Pride Week. I mean, there's so much more you can do when your champion is openly gay. Yeah. And her girlfriend, 
who we'll talk about later, is fighting for a possible opportunity to title shot herself yep. this weekend. But the UFC's not like it, they, it's there. It's part of the story because you can't really ignore who Amanda Nunez is. But they're not going to play it up because there's a lot of people that just don't like it. There's a reason why Amanda Nunez isn't a star, and it's partially because the UFC doesn't push her. There, there is an audience there for it, but there's an audience that's against it as well. So that's why we're going to be in this spot. It's, it's not going to change. It's not going to change in the very near future. Hopefully our kids will be able to change this. But, dude, like I said, I look on Facebook and social media and I see the disparaging things people say about gay people to this day. And I'm, I'm surprised that it's this prevalent. But it is. And it's, just, it's still not as acceptable as we, we would like it to be. We're not there yet. Yeah, that's crazy. And I guess Twitter is a bubble. Right. Because, I mean, there's just tons of LGBTQ stuff on, on Twitter and it, it's a norm and the conversations moving and all this stuff. And I listen to podcasts. They're talking about it, all this. But, yeah, I guess like the public narrative is still so, so far away. I mean, shit, loudspeakers are biggest show. Like Kid Fury doesn't hide none of his shit. He ain't fighting nobody, though. He ain't fighting nobody, but the the read is incredible, and you know he's just being himself, and it's just like entertainment. What we do is entertainment. It's crazy to see like openly gay men and and women and trans women. You know they just be open and be themselves there, and just combat sports is in its own fucking bubble. It's still a good old boys club to to an extent, you know. So that yeah. that shit is wild. Um, that brings me to our first little combat sports talk and kind of goes into this uh we'll deep dive into andy ruiz and upsetting anthony joshua you there we'll talk about like you know being in new york the atmosphere yada 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 we'll roll back to the front of it but uh i gotta start at the end of this and a tweet that was on twitter and people commented on and uh kevin ioli who you know more than most uh, working at yahoo who've uh, i've known in my travels and he's been kind enough to lend me uh a lot of advice and DMing me for a certain shit over the years and talking to me at live shows, but he tweeted and it's been a constant narrative since like Andy Ruiz was born in America. What's with all this Mexican narrative? And rightfully so people let his ass have it. So it, it's, it's that, that same thing. It's like, yo, we haven't had a, a Mexican heavyweight champion. And you tweeted this, and your mentions went on fire. I was like, "Damn, Dre, Dre, Dre always wants to smoke." Everything like you, you welcomed all comers on this one. You're like, you don't understand why this shit is important, and people wouldn't drop the narrative. Like, yo, he's born in America. What's with all this Mexican? So, and, and Danny Acosta, you know, reverse rap pack, friend of the show. He, he was lighting people up. Like, what do you mean? Like, it's cool to be like people want to choose when it's cool to be Mexican. Like, a lot of times they're so anti-Mexican, anti-immigrant, anti-Hispanic. Oh, but now this guy was born here. Now, no, no, no. Now he's ours. He's doing something good. He's ours now. Like, so that narrative was crazy. Um, so I wanted to start off by talking about that. What you got into with people. What were your feelings about this? Because you, you really wanted to make it known that, no, this, this shit is historic. Yeah, I mean, when I talked to Andrew Ruiz at the top of the week, and I mentioned this to him, and I sure, I'm sure he heard it, but he was talking about how important it was because... Both of his parents were born in Mexico. Yes, he was born in America, but, you know, he's born like, you know, Valencia. And that's like, you know, it's, it's predominantly Mexican Latino community. And uh, he talked about how important it was because that's, you know, he had people there. He's a family there. Like he is Mexican. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kept that narrative throughout fight week because I, you know, I said, you know, he could be the first Mexican heavyweight champion. You know, people brushed it off because obviously nobody thought he would beat Anthony Joshua. No. But when it happened, it was the first thing I tweeted. Like he's made history. They, yes, he he pulled off one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. But there's never been a Mexican heavyweight champion. Chris Ariola couldn't do it. And then people were like, you know, I didn't see Ioli's tweet until the next day. Um, but there were a lot of people in my timeline was like, he was born in America with all this Mexican talk, like you said. And I think is, and my, my response is, I think it's really convenient that when we do something that you can claim, then now it's ours. Mm-hmm. But when you see Andy Ruiz down the street, like, what's, like you immediately identify him as Mexican. You don't go, he's a Mexican-American. Yep. You don't you don't ever say that about it. when you see us it's, we, like black folks. What you see is a, a black person. And when we do something you don't like, we're hip hop. We're anything, any code word that's derogatory to America. Yeah. Then what we do when hip hop wins an award. Now it's everybody's culture. Now everybody loves it. Wants it. Wants a piece of it. Everybody loves Jay-Z now. Yeah. It, you everybody know, ain't love Jay-Z then. So. With Andy Ruiz, like it was increasingly frustrating because people kept saying it. And I think what Ioli did was tone deaf, but I know he didn't mean any harm by it because he was trying to he was trying to look at this through these rose tinted goggles that basically said, you know, we're all Americans. We're all Americans. We don't have to be separatists. But no, fuck that. We are. This country is separated. This Mm -hmm. country is divided. And when a Mexican wins the heavyweight championship for the first time, you know, maybe he wasn't born in Mexico, but he's still Mexican. He's still, his heritage is still Mexican. Listen, I'm Puerto Rican. People say whatever the fuck they want. I'm Puerto Rican. Like, my family's there, still live there. Like, I I am Puerto Rican. I was born in New York. What am I? I am Puerto Rican. And so it's crazy for people to try to separate. As soon as I heard that, I was like, no, nah, that's a crock of shit. Like, what do you mean? But that's that's what people do. And I only have since apologized. He wrote, wrote a piece on it. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. Just been kind of busy lately. But... You know, but other people, like, the narrative's still going on. Someone was in my timeline today was like, you know, he was born in America. Like, dog, I know he was born, but he's still a Mexican. Like, and he was like, well, I can be German. No, German is, like, white. Like, let's, let's be honest. White people, y'all can hide your, your heritage behind whatever you want. Like, ultimately, you're white. Unless you come out and say it, unless you, unless you wear that, unless you, your flag carrying. Like, Irish people, they're Irish, but they're still white, right? Mexicans are Mexican. And it's often used derogatory. It's often used like go back to your country. Like how many times have we been told to go back to Africa? We ain't from Africa. I wasn't born in Africa. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, can, I can tell on my timeline all the time. If you don't like this country, go back to Africa. And I always retort, I ain't got no country. Wasn't born in Africa. Wasn't, I'm, a, I'm a black man living in America. It's a difference. Andrew Ruiz is represented for his family, his heritage, his culture. He's a Mexican descent champion. Like Kofi Kingston. He, is, he was born in Ghana. He's got Ghana blood in him. But he still identifies himself as a black man living in America as well. So he can represent both of those aspects of his life. For people to fight this, it, it was just like, why are you putting so much energy into this? If you put this much energy into fucking gun control, or if you put this much energy into like in the education system, we'd have a whole lot more smart kids. But you really want to fight over the first Mexican heavyweight champion? It's crazy. But that's what we do. That's they they want to they marginalize that aspect of achievement like they it's cool to just say this underdog is now your heavyweight champion it's even cooler to say this fat guy is now your heavyweight champion oh but don't say this mexican guy is champion 
Cause no, that, don't like that. No, no, no. You can't do that. Don't don't bring that culture. Don't bring culture into this. No, he's American. He lives here in America. He was born here in America. Like what? Get the hell out of here. So you know what? Don't say he's fat. Like don't 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 say any of the other just unique characteristics that Andy Ruiz has. Just say this unknown, or just say you know, guy wins championship. But it's so much more than that, and it, it just seems like. Seeing that on time, I was like, damn, like, but that was a huge narrative. People going against proclaiming this guy a Mexican champion. Like, what yeah. the fuck does it mean to you? What does this know. change for you? There's too much energy in that for me. Like I said, put that energy in gun control where kids are dying. Don't put that energy into something historic. That's crazy to me. No, that shit's that's too hard for them. The dumbest shit is the easiest to say. That That is always the rule. Like, people, they got nothing but time to say dumb shit. It's super easy. It rolls off the tongue. When you got to say real shit, it got to be thoughtful. You got to have reasoning behind it. Now nah, it takes a little too much effort and too much time. So that, that's one of the things we saw. Uh, let's go back to the fight week itself, though. So Anthony Joshua, first time fighting in New York. Andrew Ruiz, late replacement um, for Big Baby Miller, who took every drug possible. And Andrew Ruiz steps in. And when he was the replacement on this show, you were like, you know what? This, this isn't easy. It's not as easy as people think. Ruiz is talented, and this might be a harder test than Big Baby Miller. You didn't say he was going to win. No. But you, you definitely put that out there like, yeah, that's not a cakewalk yeah. for Anthony Joshua. So where before we get into the nuts and bolts of the fight itself, because you were there leading up to the fight and the differences, was this something, was this like the perfect storm to catch Anthony Joshua off his game? New City... New opponent, late opponent, a tricky one at that, different than what he prepared for in Big Baby Miller. Like, is this the, the Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz scenario where it's like, you know what? All the stars align to really just fuck him up and trip him up in this. And the rematch could be vastly different. Or like, it, how much is the scenario to play have in the result of the fight? I mean, there was a lot, and I said it from the beginning. Like, I dis Andy Ruiz is a much better opponent than Big Baby was. People was like, "Really? Look at his body type." I was like, "Nah, I watched this dude fight before." That being said, Anthony Joshua is an Olympic gold medalist. Um, knocked out everybody but one opponent, which was Joseph Parker, who lost, who beat Andy Ruiz in a fight that a lot of people thought Andy Ruiz actually won. The people, excuse me, saw the Andy Ruiz Joseph Parker fight. A lot of people thought Andy Ruiz won that fight, including myself. Mm -hmm. But still. You looked at Ruiz and the size difference. You know, I mean, Anthony Joshua looked like a giant. And if he would have stayed behind the jab, you know, I thought he would have just made short work of Ruiz. But there were a couple, there were, there were three factors. And I'm writing a feature on this right now. There is, and it's called um, How a Baby, a Yo Mama Joke, and Deontay Wilder caught, gave Andy Ruiz his best week ever. The baby is Jarrell Big Baby Miller, right? <laughs> First and foremost, Anthony Joshua would never have fought in the U.S. if it wasn't for Jarrell Miller because he had no reason to. And I know this firsthand because I've been around him. I've interviewed Joshua on numerous occasions. I started the whole feud with Big Baby Miller at the DAZN launch event. So Joshua's never really had an interest until Big Baby came around. So that, that was the only reason why Ruiz was ever in proximity of landing that fight because if it was in the U.K., they would have just dug up somebody from the U.K. for him to beat up, Right. It could have been anybody. But because it was, he ended up fighting at the Garden because of Big Baby, now Ruiz was able to step in on short notice because he slid into Eddie Hearn's DMs because he was trying to find a short notice opponent. Um, the other thing is the Deontay Wilder factor. 
I know it, there's no excuses here, but the fact that Deontay Wilder destroyed Dominic Brazil in the manner that he did might have made Anthony Joshua a little overzealous when he dropped Ruiz in that in the third round, and which caused him to get clipped. Mm-hmm. I think I think because when I asked Joshua earlier in the week, you know, uh, do you feel the pressure of having to put on a performance? Not necessarily knock out Ruiz in the first round, but you need to score a knockout and need to be impressive. And he was like, no, no, not really. But I looked at him. I was like, he does. Like, he feels it. Like, he wants to be in that that conversation. He wants to make sure he's not being left out. And so when he saw the knockdown, I mean, I'm sure he immediately thought, I need to finish. Because what what Joshua has been in the past is a very composed finisher. But he crowded himself. And he ended up getting caught. Ruiz is a very good counterpuncher. There's another factor in this, and it's something that I asked Ruiz early in the week, and I don't think anybody caught it. I was like, you think Joshua's ever dealt with Mexican style before? And Ruiz laughed because (laughs) he knew it's a different kind of pressure. Most Mexicans, not Canelo, but guys like even like a guy like Triple G, it's a constant pressure. And that's what Joshua's never really had to deal with in the past. Not with Dillian White, not with Joseph Parker, not even Klitschko. Klitschko tried to use range. Ruiz was coming forward the whole fight. There was there was no step back in him from the beginning because he knew if he allowed Joshua to operate within range, Joshua would just pick him apart. So there was all these factors, you know, and obviously the drugs and pulling Miller out and Ruiz getting the opportunity to step in. All this was a big ball of, you know, the MSG debut, uh, Joshua having to be in New York and be out of his element for a bit. And to be honest, I don't think he really wanted to be here. He says he did, but I just, I just didn't get that feeling being around him. I just think all these things factored on fight night. There's no single excuse. The better man won that night, but man, he—I don't think he was ready for what, what was coming. I don't think he had a clue what he was about to deal with, and he got smoked because of it. No, I, I definitely agree. I'm trying to think of where <sighs> there's so many different aspects you just laid out that led to it. Can it happened again. So we, we look at the fight, and we're talking about the Mexican style and, and the pressure that Ruiz was able to get on Joshua. So the fight opened up. Joshua was able to use his jab, keep Ruiz at, at length. It played out how you would think a, a big, tall, rangy fighter would have an advantage over a short-armed, shorter fighter, right? So the jab was working. There was filling out rounds, but okay, I thought Joshua was moving well. Third round. Boom, he lands the big punch, Ruiz goes down. And you're thinking, okay, Joshua found his range. Now it's trouble. This is the beginning of the end. Off of one knockdown. And then Joshua runs in, closes the distance, which is the opposite of what he did to land the knockdown, and gets clipped by Ruiz. And he never recovers from there. From that point on, he's no longer to use the jab, use the length, manage distance, Ruiz at will, continues to close the space, which led to two knockdowns in the third, and uh, or three overall in the third, and then two to end the fight in the seventh. Yeah. Um, Just in his chest. And it wasn't even like he was Deontay Wilder knocking him on the chin, huge boat, not, not even the Klitschko one that put him down. These were like behind the ear, glancing blows, just looping hooks around the guard. It, it was weird, the punches that dropped him. Well, so the one thing I said about Anthony Joshua, I said it in the Pobekin fight. I said it when he fought Dillian White. I said it when he fought Klitschko. 
Josh has this nasty habit of ducking his head to the right. And he puts his arm down, he gets clipped behind the ear. And when you get hit behind the ear, it messes up your equilibrium. Any, anybody who's ever been in a fight or has been touched behind the ear will tell you that. And it's exactly what happened. When he came running in, he threw the right hand, Ruiz ducked under, threw an overhand right, clipped him behind the ear, and Joshua's legs just buckled. And people were like, it's a glass jaw. It's an equilibrium thing. Um, and you have to fix that. And, you know, people, there was people that said that Joshua got exposed, and I was like, that's fucking stupid. Um, it's not an exposure because Joshua beat Klitschko, Dillian White, Joseph Parker, and Alexander Povetkin, who were all ranked in the, between eight and number one by the, by Ring Magazine. Yeah. He hasn't he hasn't fought bums. No, the right? resume he, speaks for itself. Like he he hasn't been fed cans. No, but what he did do is he ran into a buzzsaw named Andy Ruiz, who was just clearly not going to be denied on this night. And it, it's also telling because this is the heavyweight division where one punch can end a fight on any night. Like, we act like Deontay Wilder wasn't buzzed against Luis Ortiz. Like, we act like the, the only man who's got a steel chin in this division is Tyson Fury. That's the only man who's got a chin that just seems impenetrable. Because Wilder hit him with his best shot, and that fool got up. <laughs> Which you know I, don't, I still, I, I saw his soul lift out of his chest, return to his body, and then he sat up. It was the most incredible shit ever. He should not have gotten up from that. But the man has gotten up from the most incredible of dra- drug habits. So who knows? He, At this he, point, but, he's beat everything. Yeah, so so there's only one Tyson Fury right now in this division that has a granted chin. And I and I use the perfect example I use for Joshua, not just because they're from, both from the UK, is Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis got knocked out by Hasim Rockman, and he got beat by Oliver McCall. And in both of those rematches, he made Oliver McCall cry, and he knocked Rockman senseless. Mm-hmm. So... This is like I don't know if the same thing will happen because maybe Rob McCracken, Joshua's trainer, can figure out what went wrong. Maybe Joshua will take the fight a little bit more seriously. Maybe the perfect storm won't happen because this fight is more than likely going to be at Wembley Stadium in October or November, and Joshua will be on his home turf. Maybe it'll be more four months for this opponent. Yeah, I mean it's there. It's it's really again because Joshua knocked down Ruiz and, and and. now he knows, like, just because you knock him down, don't mean that fool ain't going to get up and be ready to fight. <laughs> so, you know, maybe you got to be more composed because if, if Joshua never knocked him down, maybe he wins the fight. It's weird to say these things, but there were so many things that happened in the heavyweight division. All it takes is one punch. And Joshua does have a nasty habit of ducking into punches. Joshua has been rocked. He got rocked against Povetkin. He got rocked in that fight. But these guys are giants. And when you get hit by somebody like this, it alters your mind state. So it's a huge upset. Probably one of the biggest upsets in recent memory. And I, and I go back to Lennox Lewis getting knocked out by Hasim Rockman because nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw it coming. Um, Tyson Holyfield. Nobody saw that coming. As much as people say, yeah, I thought Holyfield was going to win. No, you didn't. You're lying. Everybody thought that Mike Tyson was going to mow Holyfield down. I believe Holyfield was a 12-1 underdog that night. Yep. This, was a, this was a massive, massive upset. Um, strangely enough, over at the zone, you know, like, on fight night, we were mortified. Like, uh, I mean, we had a running joke. We were like, do we got to go look for jobs? You know what I'm saying? Like, we, do we need to go find a new job? Because we put all our money in these three fighters, and this one just got knocked out. So, but honestly, it's maybe one of the best things that happened to the company. Because our subscriptions went through the roof after that <laughs> fight. Like, the, the intrigue for the rematch is going to be huge. Like, people were actively looking for the fight. If you look on our YouTube page right now over at zone. That highlight reel of Joshua Ruiz has 10 million views already. 10 people million. have to find out who is this guy. 
That's, right. that's the biggest benefit is that a lot of people didn't know his background. It's like Ruiz came out of nowhere. And as shitty as it was with Stephen A and his commentary calling him Butterbean, it made people think like, oh, did he, really this guy really just floor him and he has no skills? And then it's like, no, wait, this guy is skilled. No, and dude, then they, no. they wanted to search for him. Ruiz is talented, man. It's, it's, it's a heavyweight fight. I mean, as much as the welterweights have dominated boxing over the past decade or so, the sport is still a mainstream attraction when the heavyweight is fighting. You know, when, when we have big heavyweights fighting, it attracts everybody because people just get knocked the fuck out. And that's what people want to see. So this was, it was, you know, obviously over the zone, they prefer not to see Joshua lose. But I think it, it shakes up the division. You know, Wilder's going to say what he's got to say, but, you know, he get knocked out too. Like, everybody can get knocked out. There's no indestructible <laughs> Especially force. Especially in heavyweight boxing. Yeah, there's no indestructible force in this division. I mean, you never know. I, I, we all think that Wilder's going to beat Ortiz worse than the first time. But who knows? Because Ortiz hurt Wilder pretty goddamn bad in that fight. Who's to say that can't happen again? Wilder is a very sloppy fighter. Mm-hmm. As, as great as his power is, which is the great equalizer, he overcommits on his punches. There's a lot of things that Deontay does wrong. But this is what makes boxing fun, man. Things like this. I mean, yeah, it would have been great to see three undefeated champions all do this like round-robin tournament. Well, they're not going to be undefeated anymore. It doesn't mean that Josh will never land the Wilder fight. It does mean it doesn't mean that that fight's not going to be great or anticipated. We saw Pacquiao get laid out and Simba nudging his body on Twitter. He went yeah. on to have a huge fight against Mayweather. It didn't detract from that. No, and and that's where we have to, you know, we have to put our feelings in check. Yeah, we're all shocked and surprised and these things happen. And yeah, it may diminish the value of it a little bit, but you know, Joshua goes out there and beats Ruiz in a rematch, let's just say, or whatever happens. You know, if Ruiz goes out to Wembley and beats Joshua, Ruiz is like the biggest thing in boxing. You know, his story will be unbelievable. Yeah. And who doesn't want to see that fight? So it's it's good for boxing overall. If people can say what they want, but you know, it's good for boxing, man. And it was a, it was a great night at the Garden. Um, good energy. It was funny watching the Brits. They left like it was a funeral. Like when, when Joshua <laughs> down, there wasn't like you could hear a pin drop. They just got up and left. They went to the nearest bar and tore it up. <laughs> that's the way to go. That's that's how you just soothe your soul. Cause yeah, it's it. From every description I heard, it was like, yo, it's just silence over the entire arena. Dead silence. But at a, at a point, I would say towards the end, Ruiz was gaining fans, and people were cheering for him. And then the narrative comes in: is did Joshua quit? No, man. Like this is the dumbest thing ever. It's dumb. A quitter gets hit, goes on his knees, shakes his head to his corner. I can't do this anymore. Yep. A quitter may not come out. He looked over to the corner several times. No clue what he was saying. But Joshua kept getting up. Mm -hmm. He never said, I'm done. The referee was like, you're done. Like somebody who gets, because look, when Josh got knocked down those first two rounds, in the, I believe in the fourth round, he threw one punch. His goose was cooked. Like he, oh, he was yeah. trying to land the home run punch after that. Seemed a bit concussed. He was absolutely concussed. So to say that he quit for a man that got out, pulled himself off the canvas from getting hit by a heavyweight puncher four times, it's ridiculous. He didn't quit. Like, he didn't just go to, he didn't, Oliver McCall, he didn't just get beat up and cry. He didn't quit. He tried to fight, just got beat. He yeah. never got into a shell and was just like, I'm done. He never turned his back on Andrew Ruiz and was like, I, I, I fin- I'm finished. 
Never happened. No, no, no sitting on the stool, no moss moment, nothing, wow. none of that. He tried to fight his way through it. He lost to the better man. And people will say he quit. I mean, I think the fools will say he quit. Just don't know anything. There's about a life. difference between quitting and, and living to fight another day. Yeah, um, and usually your corner makes that decision for you. Yeah. And at this point, the corner was, I mean, he kept picking himself up. But at this point, like, you know, I, I don't think his, his body and his head, like, when the ref asked him, do you want to continue? I'm not sure if he could register that question at no. that point. Like, I love when people who've never had a concussion before in life speak on it. I mean, I, I played college football before. Like, I've had more than my fair share of concussions in life. Uh, this does not explain my hot takes, by the way. And, uh, like, just the feeling you have while going through one is your, your body's just running off of muscle memory. So you can get hit, you can get up off of the canvas and all this stuff, but you're not home upstairs. Like you, you can do what you're you're trained to do within the midst of that competition. When you start throwing like crazy factors into it, or someone's trying to talk to you, and you just see blurred vision, you don't see faces, you can barely hear words coming from their mouth, you can't register what the hell they're saying. You're just like, yo, just put me in there. Yeah, uh, don't worry about it. Are you fine? Yeah, sure. What day is it? I don't know what fucking day it is. Like, just put me out there. I can hit someone. And I know that firsthand from playing football. Like, yo, I could tackle everything with a concussion. I'll be fine. I couldn't function normally to save my life. I wouldn't know what three plus two is. Right. So just the, the cognitive skills are what go out of the window. And people who've never had a concussion in life speak from a very privileged spot when these things happen. So when he's looking dead ass at the ref and the ref is talking to him, he's just hearing like Charlie Brown teacher talk. Like there, there's no registering. If the ref would let him step out and fight, he knows to put his hands up. He knows to swing. He knows everything to do with muscle memory and how to defend himself. Yeah. Don't know shit else going on at that point. So I'll give it to you. No, he didn't quit. But at some point, the ref made the decision. You know what? It's probably better to fight another day. Like, we're going to save you from yourself, son. Like, it's cool. Just come back, run it back. Connor made that decision for him, too. And I've, I've always been an advocate against Nate Diaz that Connor didn't quit. Connor knew he has nothing. He knew his gas. He knew he was getting torn up. And he didn't want to get in concussion or, or get hit in the face and knocked out. He shot for a takedown, which he never does. Got tapped. Lived to fight another day. Yeah. And sometimes you know, you know when you're cooked. So I, I'm looking forward to the rematch. Boxing can never have too many stars. Andy Ruiz, as unlikely as it is, has made himself into a star. Yeah, and you know what? I think the thing that got lost in that fight was the amazing fight between Katie Taylor and Delphine Pursuit. Oh, those, that was crazy. We need a rematch on that one. Those women threw down. And I personally thought that Pursuit won the fight. Um, okay. But I went opposite with it. I thought, you know, the right person won. I thought it was closer. Either way, it oh, was... Yeah. Easily the most difficult test of Katie Taylor's career. Oh, hands down. And it was it, like for a women's fight, we, you know, it's another testament to say, why can't we get to give these women um, 12, three minute rounds? Why do we got to keep up with this 10 round, two minute nonsense? Yeah, it's in ridiculous. M in MMA, they don't do that. Like in MMA, they, they fight like the men. Yeah, we would have got a, a clearer picture of who was the better fighter on that night. It's just crazy how, like, if he gave, like, Cla Cla Clarissa Shields has said it a few times. So he was in uh, her last fight against Christina Hamer. She was like, if you gave me another minute per round, I would have knocked her out. Because two minutes is not a lot of time. No. 
You better get your feet wet. Yeah, so it's like they got to you got to hurry up and try to figure these things out. You know, and, it, and especially in the uh, the Taylor Pursuit fight, down the stretch, Pursuit, she outlanded Katie Taylor twice as much in the final three rounds. Mm-hmm. So you give her an extra minute in each of those rounds, she might have won the fight. Give her it's extra just, two rounds. She might stop her. You know, I just it's just kind of ridiculous uh, how, you know, women's boxing, they say they're more susceptible to be concussed. I was like, that's dumb as shit. No, we have but, MMA now as a comparison. Like, no, they can do exactly what men do. Yeah, so I I hate that that, uh, that kind of got lost after this fight was over. Um, after Joshua got knocked out, people forgot how special that fight was. And Callum Smith's performance as well, and he's angling for a fight with Canelo if the Triple G one doesn't go through. There was a lot of great fights that night. But, yeah, that Joshua Ruiz stole the headlines for everything. Yeah, man, it was, it was good. Um, good week in boxing. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got to talk UFC. A lot of people are retiring there talking about, you know, just taking too many punches to the head. It's something that it seems like is really hitting MMA hard, and we're seeing guys get out early instead of late, which is great. And then uh, we'll talk pro wrestling, a ton to talk about there as well. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events, we're always writing articles, but when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman, everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchased by visiting Casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's Casper.com backslash the corner promo code t-h-e-c-o-r-n-e-r terms and conditions apply all right so before we went to break we told you we'll be coming back and we'll be talking mma not a crazy amount to talk about we got a preview ufc 238 here in a second but first uh ufc fight was in sweden last weekend alexander gustafson uh versus anthony smith was the main event and smith Man, gutted it out, had a broken hand since the second round. The x-rays looked crazy. They peeled, He showed a picture on Instagram and peeled his hand open to put a rod in there. Um, still managed to finish Gustafson with a submission. Looks like Smith is you know, back on his winning ways. Gus loses again, decides it's time to hang the gloves up, leaves them in the octagon. A great way to go out uh, if you have to <laughs> go out with a loss you know, in front of his hometown fans. The guy's accomplished a ton in the sport. Uh, always been the bridesmaid, never the bride, but he, he has his spot kind of solidified. And then we see the likes of Jimmy Manawa. Say he's hanging him up. King Mo. It's like, you know what? This is it. I feel like King Mo's been fighting forever. We got to get King Mo on the show now, on the podcast. Now that he's hung it up, I want to talk to him about, you know, reflecting on his career. We, we're seeing these guys, you know what? Say, yeah, I'm good. It's, it's, I know when it's time to walk away and not BJ Penning it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't pay them enough to stay around. I think it's as simple as that. There's not enough money in MMA when you start losing. And, you know, what happens is when you start losing, you start moving down the card. When you start moving down the card, depending on who you are, the pay changes. Yeah. 
why stick around? You know, if you if you still Some got people that old... catch the win second win though. Like you you look at uh man, Overeem caught his second win. Yeah, but see, it's it's like even different for Overeem because he's not the guy he once was. So it's like no. you know, if you're Jimmy Manoa or if you're Alexander Gustafson, mean, you know, it's not even the losses, it's the fights, it's the training camps. Like you, you don't feel like doing it anymore. And once you don't feel like you, you're there or you have the desire, in a sport like MMA, it's time to go. Yeah. And they realize it's time to go. King Mo had lost a few fights in a row. He realized, you know, there's other things I could do. King Mo is a lot to give. You know, he's, he's been training for a long time. He goes to different communities and helps out fighters. There's value in King Mo to do to continue his career on the other side. Um, Gus Emanuel, I'm not too sure. But it just comes to a point where it's like, is it, you know, this is not enough money for me to keep getting beat up and going to these camps. They don't want to do it anymore. So I'm not mad at them. Good for them. I'd rather they get out now rather than, you know, Roy Jones and stick around and get knocked senseless for years and years and years and then really be fighting for money. No, I, I agree. And we'll see if this is a wave. And UFC now, one, light heavyweight was their thinnest division anyway. So now they, they really got to replace some talent in that division. How fast can they make stars or just quality fighters that are that are interesting, you know? So um, they're going to have to dig into their bag a little bit because what happens if we do see a lot of these established guys start going by the wayside and retiring early? Like, who, who's next up? So that that's going to be the interesting aspect there in the UFC to follow. Um, this weekend, even though I felt like this crept up on us crazy, UFC 238 is coming from uh, Chicago. And it is refreshing to see a Chicago card not featuring CM Punk. Um, I got so used to that for a while. And this card is the fighter's card, man. It is stacked. Like, from early prelims on, it is stacked. Uh, Angie Hill stepped up to fight in main events, the early prelims, which is really cool. Uh, Joanne, Joanne Calderwood is fighting in the early prelims. So, I mean, there's just names on names on names. Uh, let's go through some of the cooler fights on the card. Um, even though I really like that one. I hope Angie pulls the upset. Let's kind of skip to the prelims on ESPN. We have Calvin Qatar versus Ricardo Lamas. Veteran. Uh, I think Ricardo wins this one, though. Um, mm, I don't know, man. You know, <laughs> these young whippersnappers are dangerous. No, nah, it's just, you know, Qatar is a good fighter. You know, he lost to, uh, who did he lose to? Jesus, trying to remember, trying to remember. He lost to uh, Renato Mokaino. And uh, Ricardo Lamas is, you know, he's kind of had his struggles. You know, he lost a pair of fights. He got knocked out by Josh Emmett, which shocked everybody. Yep. But then uh, Mirsad Bektik uh, defeated him. It was a close fight. I think, I don't think it was that close if I remember correctly, but it was still like a split decision. And then he knocked out Darren Elkins, which. He's there in Elkins. He's, I, you know, the he damage. A, yeah. So <laughs> I, I think Qatar might be able to pull this off, man. If he's able to wrestle him and keep him on the ground, he might have a chance here. This is kind of a 50-50 fight. Um, Lamas, he might be getting a little long in the tooth. He's been around for a while. The chin's a little susceptible. Um, and he hasn't beat, well, he beat like Charles Oliveira. Um, I don't know, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Qatar because I just think it's a really, really close fight. Um but I think Qatar might just have a little bit more left. Okay, I'll go with the Wiley veteran to pull another win and get to 20 on his career. It feels like Lamas has fought way more than just, what is it, 26 times? I feel yeah. like he's fought just a ton, but it's crazy. Uh, next up, 
Karolina Kovakevich versus Alexa Grasso. Amazing fight. It is. The, my problem is, is that I don't know who Alexa Grasso is anymore. When Alexa Grasso first signed with the UFC, um, coming out of Invicta. She was she hyped. Like, yeah. Yeah. She was supposed to be the next big thing. Um, she went out, I believe she won her first fight, and then uh, she lost to... Oh, I remember. I feel like we're at Felice that Herrick. Oh, She lost Felice to Felice Herrick, yeah. because, you know, and Felice Herrick started going on that winning streak. Um, and then she got absolutely mowed down by Tatiana Suarez, which, not a big surprise. Not a shame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my, my, the issue is, is I watched Alexa, and she just hasn't really gotten any better. She's not aggressive. Um, she's totally fine getting put on her back. She doesn't really scramble to get to her feet. And, you know, she's only 26, I believe. So you're fighting somebody like Carolina Kovakiewicz who isn't going to take you down. Is going to try to pick you apart from, from range because she's a kickboxer. Um, and Kovakiewicz got annihilated by Destro Andrade, but Andrade is like Hulkamania in that division. So this fight is intriguing, but if Alexa Grasso doesn't start figuring these things out, she's just going to lose another decision. Um, and I think this might be what happens here. There's, it feels like there's a mental block. She's got all the talent in the world, but something is not clicking between her camp and her brain that, let, that is telling her to let it go. Ever since she came to the UFC, she's not been the same person we saw in the Victor. So I'm going to pick up with Cambridge. I am too. I mean, she's, she's still on the top of that division for me. She's going to keep floating around, you know, earning a title shot. So I, I think so too. And Alexa Grasso, it's just it's doing no favors with this pairing. No. It's not they're still trying to to test all this hype and what the hype was about. I, I think they should have slid her down the rankings a bit in terms of opponent. You know, let her let her build some confidence. Um, yeah, no, I, I think she comes up on the short end. If she could win this, then that's a huge statement. But uh I, I don't know, man. That's it's gonna be tough. I'll take uh Carolina on that one. Um Next up, Aljamain Sterling versus Pedro Munoz. This is damn near a number one contenders match. It certainly uh, is. It is not even on the main card. That's fucking nuts. Uh, man, give me Aljo. Just because Aljo's my boy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That's it. That's the only reason it. I don't care. They're both very good lately. Man, both deserving of a title shot. Give me Aljo and some weird funk master stretch type shit. I mean, I'm picking Aljo as well. Because uh, <laughs> he's our boy? Like, what's, well, what's the reason? <laughs> I'll say this. Because Pedro Munoz, when he fought um, Cody Garbrandt, you know, he got rocked. Cody did some dumb shit. and ended Cody up getting, went Cody. Yeah, Cody went Cody and got knocked out. Um, I think Aljo's going to approach this fight a lot different. He's not going to go in there and try to bang with Munoz. He's going to be a little bit more tactical, look for the takedown, uh, and work his submission game. Yeah. And... I think that's how you're going to have to beat Pedro Munoz. His yeah. hands were impressive last fight, though. He uses the kicks for a while now, like a couple of years now, to get range. Uh, Aljamain Sterling does. But now the hands are starting to catch up and keep range. So it, it's the perfect, you know, the perfect setup for those takedowns. For a while, it was just like you know what he was going to do. He has to shoot for a takedown. Now it's like, okay, he can jab you to death, try to spin kick the hell out of you. And you're so worried about that that the level change is open. Yeah, so... I think Aljo would be a little bit more tactical on the feet, give, give uh, Pedro a little bit more to think about, uh, eventually get the takedown, probably win a decision. Um, as long as he doesn't allow Pedro to overwhelm him with the striking and put his back on the cage, I think he'll be all right. So I'm going to pick Aljo. Yeah, I'll take Aljo uh, by submission in that one. Just like I said, I need to see him just stretch his ass out. Some crazy full Nelson. Um, 
Tatiana Suarez versus Nina Ansarov. And we alluded to this earlier in the show. Um, Nina's very close to the title fight. They both are. I think Tatiana is on. I mean, she, I think she's going to win this. I think she's going to stop her. And I think she's going to get a title fight. Seven wins only, which is crazy. But to me, she's the female Khabib. Like, there's, there's just not a person with the skills to solve this puzzle. Especially at this weight. Not happening. I agree. Um, I don't... I'm not picking against Tatiana. Uh-uh. There's just... I wouldn't pick did, against her at 125. Anyone. She's just too damn good. And uh, it's, it's really hard to see anybody without... Uh, some significant striking to be able to keep them keep this giant offer. Uh, people forget she was supposed to be in the Olympics. She beat cancer. She ain't worried about you. So it's like you know she just this type of fight is is right up her alley. And Nina Ansarov has been pretty damn good, but unless she can slow her down with, with a strike, she's in trouble. Yeah, you so need like one punch good. knockout power, one kick power. Like maybe Andrade has that chance. That's the only person I can think of um, that can help muscle her. Yeah, I'm just on some, oh, you're trying to take me down, let me slam you on your head type shit, like we just saw. But even then, Tatiana's so much bigger. Yeah, it's... it's. Oh, I don't know. Jeez. I just, I don't see it. I don't see anybody beating Tatiana Suarez. Yeah. I don't see it yet. No, she graduated from the Damian Maya of the strawweight division to the Khabib of the strawweight division. Like, she's just, God, she's dominant. So I, I think she finishes that one and earns, you know, the next title fight. Um... And with only eight wins, which is crazy. Uh, now we're going to the main card, heavyweight, Taito Ivasa versus Ivanov. How do I say his first name? Blagoy? That can't be right. I don't know. I don't pronounce Russian. This is not, it's not my gig. I'll ask uh, Big Mac when I talk to him next. He loves these pronunciations. Um, but we see this. Tuivasa only has one loss. Uh, I love heavyweights. And they're just banging. We know what we're going to get from this. I'll take Ty to win. But let's go either way. I'm picking Ty. Um, Black Ivanov is uh, it's pretty good. He, I think he fought a great fight against Junior Dos Santos, and he beat Rothwell by decision. Is that Blygoy? You said Blygoy? Yeah. It sounds like black guy. Cool. Blygoy oh. <laughs> Ivanov. Sweet. Fair enough. All right. Um, but, yeah, Tuivas is, I mean, he's got all the tools to be special in this division. Uh, I think uh, losing to Junior Dos Santos was a surprise, but it's like, She's Junior Dos Santos. She's still like the Rocky. <laughs> yeah. So, Ivanov has got a great chin. So, it may not be a stoppage or it may be late. But uh, I think it'll be a good fight. I just think Tuivas has got a little bit more in the toolbox. I'm going to pick Tuivas to the win. I'm going to go, I'm going to say a third round stoppage. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's heavyweight. I'm always picking the stoppage. Every time somebody's getting knocked out. And uh, I say Ty wins by knockout. Um, Bantamweight. Jimmy Rivera, uh, man, versus Jan. This, this is a good fight, too. I don't know who Jimmy is anymore. Uh, Marlon Moraes knocked him in the next week. Yeah, like, I, I was real high on Jimmy Rivera for a second. Uh, shit. I don't know who you're picking. I got to think. Petri Yanda. I mean, the guy is... He, this, he's in a, in a position where if Yan wins this fight, more impressively than whoever wins out of Sterling and um, and uh, Munoz, he might leapfrog them into the title fight. He has been really impressive. Dominated Dodson. Um, he, I mean, Damn, you know, he he's not, so and nobody really dominates John Dodson. Yeah. Um, 
And Jimmy, he's going to have to put him on his back. You know, I don't think he's going to want to stand there and strike with him. But that the question that you asked is true. Who is Jimmy Rivera? You know, he went out there. He lost the unanimous decision to Sterling. He lost to Marlon Marais. I mean, the, his, the confidence to stand there and bang doesn't seem to be there anymore. No, it, he's in a tough spot. So I'm picking Petter Yan because he's just take yeah. He's just got a lot more. He's just got a lot more, man. And, and for this division, he reminds me a little bit of Volkanovski. Um, he's not as big, obviously, but he's got those those similar tools. Yeah, where he's going to come forward, he's going to strike with you. Um, he's hard to put down. I think he kind of. I think he walks away with a decision victory. All right. Uh, yeah. Fuck it. I don't believe in Jimmy Rivera too much right now. Prove me wrong. I'll take Jan too. Yeah, I'll, I'll swing that way uh, by decision because I. I'm not too confident in that. Uh, lightweight matchup, which is a crime that it's only three rounds. Tony Ferguson versus Cowboy Cerrone. This is nuts. This is, um, this what should, I, I believe this is the Conor McGregor sweepstakes. This is the Conor McGregor This is red, red panty night. So, um, fuck it. Cowboys had a good run, man. But the buck stops here. T- Tony is Tony. So, El Kakui is going to come back out. And it's just going to be entertaining. He's just going to throw some wild shit. And, you know, I'm going to take, take it to a decision because I think Cerrone is just going to be bloodied as hell and, and beat up, but it doesn't matter. It's going to be an entertaining fight, and, and they get the bonus. So uh, give me, yeah, Tony Ferguson by decision. Um, I'm saying the same thing. Uh, Ferguson hasn't lost in, what, seven years? Yeah, Two. and unless he just hangs out with Drake randomly, I, I, I don't see that coming to an end this night. Yeah, this is, this is a fight that, you know, we, Cowboys run has been remarkable as a welterweight, but this is, I mean, I mean, it's lightweight, but this is Tony Ferguson we're talking about here, guys. Yep. He's, he's not losing this fight. But it's, it, like you said, it's going to be fun. Oh, and yeah. Hopefully, Conor McGregor's in the building. And, and my biggest compliment to Cowboy is that he's not going to get knocked out. No. He, he's a tough son of a gun. He's going to make it all 15 minutes. If this shit was 25, he'd make it 25. If it was 50, he would make it 50. And you're going to take this ass whooping like a man. Um, it's gonna be funny. He's gonna have a couple Budweisers after. No shame in that. Uh, then we have Shevchenko versus Jessica I. No one's fucking with Bullet. Twenty-five yeah. minutes domination. I mean, Jessica I has had a great run, and weirder shit has been happening in MMA lately. Uh, no, nah, no one's fucking with Bullet right now. Nah, not 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 in this fight. Jessica I was on the verge of being cut. Won a few fights. Got into a title. I mean, I'm not gonna say well, it might be similar to how Rocky Pennington just kind of won her way into a title fight and then just got murdered by Nunez. Yeah. It might be similar to that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean the divisions it only takes a couple wins. Like That's the, true. the the top sooner or later, either you beat enough chicks at the top five to earn the title fight or the champion has run through the gamut and they just need a new opponent. So you'd be like fourth in the division and be like, fuck it, you're up. Yeah. So you that's know kind of where we're at right yeah, now. Yeah, that's that's where we're at. Cool. Fresh matchup. And then sometimes you get some wild shit like Jessica Andrade slamming someone on their head to turn the division on end, right? So you just never know. Um, but, yeah, I'll take Shevchenko to win. I don't think it's going to be that close. And then uh, main event, Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Moraes. Cejudo came out as a king magician? I don't, I don't fucking know. He pulled a snake out of a hat. And you'd think he was fighting TJ Dillashaw. Is that a sub to Dillashaw? I don't, I don't know. Um, but he's confident. He's been on a winning streak. He beat DJ, so they say on the cards. 
starch TJ Dillashaw, who was on poor performance enhancing drugs, now we know. But he's moving up a division, trying to become a, a double champ. And I think Marais is just the wrong guy to fuck with. I agree. Um, Henry's been entertaining. He's been very cringy, but he's been entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's giving people a reason to watch this fight. Problem is, Marlon Moore, right? I mean, even though he jokes about his voice being like Mickey Mouse or whatever, it's the wrong guy to fuck with. <laughs> it's the wrong oh. guy to fuck with. And you don't, don't poke the bear. Nah, that, that little magical shit that he was trying to pull today. Like, I know Marlon was just looking at him like, I'm going to kill you. Yep. Like, Second round knockout was my prediction. This shit yeah. ain't going past two. Henry's going to have to absolutely use all his wrestling tools in this fight because striking but he hasn't with, in so long. I mean, if, if hopefully he knows better. Hopefully he's smart <laughs> enough to re- recognize that striking with Marlon Moraes is a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. But the other problem is that people forget Marlon Moraes is an excellent jiu-jitsu game. Excellent. Oh, yeah, you so, put him on his back. He might just wrap your ass up. Well, I mean, he, he submitted Rafael Asensio, which nobody does. So... You know, he, he knocked Jimmy Rivera senseless. He knocked Aljamain Sterling senseless. He submitted a sun child. There's not too many ways I see Henry winning this fight unless he controls him on his back. That's really it. I don't see him winning a striking match. I mean, he could just flash Marlon knock Reyes. his ass out like he did TJ, but I, that's a whole 10-pound difference. Yeah, I just don't see any of that. So <laughs> yeah. it's, I think yeah. we're going to have a new champion. His name's going to be Marlon Marais. Uh You know, he's going to – and I don't know what they're going to do with Henry because – Dude, like the flyweight division has like six people left in it. So we'll see what happens. Like he'll still be the champion of a division nobody cares about, but uh it's the end of the road, buddy. Yeah. Nah, he, he's listen, man. He was he had a nice run. And he's still champ. You still leave with your belt. I just don't think uh he's gonna become the next champ champ. And I feel like they're giving everyone chances to do so. Yeah. Um I don't I don't think he fits into that category this time. So uh that was running through UFC for the weekend. Let's finish this off with some pro wrestling. And let's talk John Moxley. Uh, he's the talk of pro wrestling right now. Uh, at least outside of the ring. A little bit inside of the ring. Uh, made his New Japan pro wrestling debut uh, in ring against Juice Robinson with a new haircut. And I feel like that gave him some extra powers. Because, you know, I've never been a fan of Juice. But this was a pretty damn good match. It being no DQ, because everything in New Japan just happens to be no DQ, uh, really helped. It, it lent to it being a brawl and, and to Moxley's best characteristics, so that was dope. And uh, I, I enjoyed it, and we'll see what comes of Moxley later. He had the Young Lion gear on, um, some some trunks and some knee pads, which is crazy. Uh, maybe they don't allow jeans in New Japan. But it, it was refreshing. It was a cool match. He didn't do anything spectacular, daggler, that I haven't seen him do in WWE when given time. Or a no DQ stipulation. Uh, so, I mean, this was in his wheelhouse. I, I think it was a really good debut, though. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so many things to talk about with Moxley. There's obviously the interviews, but him making his debut in New Japan, this was... You could even make a pretty good argument that this has been Moxley's best match since early The Shield days. Like, Ooh. maybe the early Rollins feud. Um I think I don't know. I like some some of his matches against. Uh, yeah, like a no DQ against Roman that was pretty good. Um, stipulation matches against Roman always kind of work out very well. Though. Yeah. So, but it just feels like that Ambrose is refreshed as coming back into his own as Moxley, like the guy who left the Shield was 
clearly, if anybody's listened to the, those shows, he was not who he's supposed to be. It's a broken he's man. Just a joke character. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, things were a little bit too funny on the creative side. Um, here he's a little. He can be more serious. Death Rider. That's serious business, and it's fun. Um, his finisher, like the modified version of Dirty Deeds, which I think is going to be called Death Rider. That's perfect. I mean, this man is built for any promotion other than the current WWE iteration. So, and, and you look at him, you take the, the cuffs off him, you just let him cut a promo and do his thing. We knew he was money when we saw him in the Shield. Like, the first time I saw the Shield, I was like, that dude's a fucking star. Yeah. He's like, he, he's like the reiteration of Brian Pillman with a little Austin and with a, the brawling style, but he cut a promo, he's magnetic, he's a heel. And they just wanted him to be a babyface so bad in the WWE, and they put the they made him do these goofy ass angles. But now he can he has no handcuffs. He can create his own promos. Some guys don't need to be scripted. He's one of them. Yep. And he, this match was perfect. Um, now he's the U.S. champion. He's opening up Dominion this weekend. I feel like he's where he needs to be. Not everybody can can work outside of the WWE that's there right now. Moxley can absolutely be a star and could make this. I mean. I'm not going to say he's going to be the biggest star in pro wrestling because he, they don't have the marketing money that the WWE has. No. He's the hottest but, star right now, though. But he's the most talked about talent, period. And if this thing kicks off with these, you know, whenever T, uh, AEW goes to TNT in, in this fall and the WWE keeps floundering the way it is, he could be the biggest star in wrestling. He could be the most attractive guy. Like, they could, you know, they could put him on the NBA playoffs and they could put him in, you know, in. in Picture in picture, there's so many things they can do with him. Mm-hmm. He's highly marketable. He's got a style that people appreciate because it's fun. And he has Not- a recognizable face and name because he does yeah. carry the fans over from WWE. Like he's got everything that's in the right place. But the Juice Robinson match was just just a sign of things to come. Yeah, no, it was good. You know, I, I want to see this brawling style transition and carry over. And man, uh, you you look at him versus Ishii to be a great match. Someone today at work, uh, my boy Jason was like, man, could you imagine him versus Suzuki? That's going to happen. And I was like, oh, my God. I can't wait for G1. Like, I just, I can't wait. I hope he's in it. I want to see all those matchups. Um, so, yeah, man, it, it's going to it's going to be fun. I, I, like, I like that he's enjoying work. The biggest thing that I got from all the interviews and listening to the interviews and we had this conversation. It's like, all right, cool. Like. There's tons of stuff with the WWE problems and exactly what's wrong with creative and everything. My, my biggest takeaway after listening to all the interviews now is he's just happy. And yeah. when someone works and they're happy, good shit comes of it. And that's, that's what I noticed. And like I've, I've been, my point is like, yo, I want to know what's so different between NXT and WWE. Uh, on the last podcast uh, you had me listen to, excuse me, what's the guy's name? Wade Keller. Wade Keller. Uh, who did a phenomenal job asking questions. Um, one of his questions was like, okay, what... He was like, you, you said you want Triple H to just run the company for a month and see what happens. And he's like, what's the difference? And then, you know, Ambrose is like, it just can't get worse than Vince. Like, Trips is the next best option. Not saying he is the best or the best booker in the world, but it the change would be for the better. And then uh, Keller tried to follow up and say like, okay, so you know, what makes NXT different and what makes NXT... He's like, man, you got to ask someone who's in NXT. Like, he, yeah. he hasn't been through the Triple H NXT. He's like, you got to have that question for someone else. And that's a question that, you know, I want answered. But one thing that stands out to me is people just seem happy in NXT. 
You're, you're just happy to go to work. You're happy to put on shows. You're happy knowing you're going to get 25 minutes to do what the fuck you love and what you're good at and not seven. I mean, I think it's outlined pretty well in those because as much as, you know, people would call it a Vince Bastion show, those, those, those interviews weren't necessarily just about Vince. They, yes, the buck stops with Vince and Vince has these terrible ideas and Vince still lives like it's 1994. But what you see is like overly scripted overly produced you know program mm-hmm. where where you have to run these ideas by people and then people that are under vince adopt the same mentality as vince yeah or you have the guys like lesnar when 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 he's talking about the ambrose uh lesnar feud at wrestlemania what went wrong because i we were there it was terrible yeah we're like what the hell we were looking forward to that match we right. thought it was gonna be great but, but then what the hell he, was this when he explains it you go wow like they really fucked this up because it's overly scripted, you gotta you have to get ideas approved. Like when he talks about I, I had to get tax approved, and then it, you know, then Vince was like, ah, uh, maybe, and like it takes the wind out of a lot of people's sails. Whereas in NXT, you know, they they pre-tape a lot of their stuff, and there is an Vince McMahon that's trying to guide these stories. Like the other thing that Moxie said that was very important was he was like Vince could care less about wrestling. Whatever happens in the ring, he doesn't care about yep. at all. He cares about the story that can be told after the match or at the end of the match. There's a reason why Vince likes the Baron Corbins of the world. There's not, you know, he could give a shit about a Ricochet. It, it's, there's a reason why Ricochet and Cesaro have wrestled three weeks on Raw and not a single one of the matches. Somebody may correct me. I know at least two of them because I watched them on Hulu. We're not on Hulu. The Cesaro-Ricochet matches were not on Hulu. Yeah, I think it's three for three not on Hulu. Damn shame. So, Good matches. So ultimately, yeah, I mean, guys are happy because they're not being overly produced and overly scripted and having to be run ideas past like 12 people before a wrestling match. That's not going to help the product. It's yeah. not going to help them around. That's why a lot of these guys are unhappy. The rewrites, the constant writing, the constant, you know, we got to do this, we got to yeah. do that. The constant That's- taping where he was like, yo, we cut a promo, backstage promo three hours before. And then he was like, you know, an hour, like 10 minutes before my match to tell me we got to redo a promo. Like, who wants to do that? Because someone Nobody. walked in the background, he said. He was like, if a coach is at the podium after a game, you know, or the coach is in the locker room, someone walks in the background, no one's going to tell him to stop the show. It's redo the the interview. He's like, what the hell is the difference in pro wrestling? I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's, so there's a lot of points that were made in those interviews, and I think there's just a lot of takeaways about where the WWE is at right now. Um, and it's frustrating for a lot of the talent, and we keep hearing stories out of the locker room, but I think... Moxie didn't go like it was so much different. Like people try to compare this to the CM Punk thing. Like CM Punk left the WWE hating everybody. It wasn't bitter. That it wasn't. No, he was like, I I played my contract out. I did what they told me. Mm-hmm. Like that was the one thing that he said that he was like, you know, if they wanted me to do something, I'd be like, this is stupid, but all right, I'm gonna make try to make it the best that I can make it. You can't fault a man for that. He did everything right, and that's kind of why when he asked for his release, they were like, all right, cool. I mean, not even asked for his release when he said, I'm not reading up my contract. The W was like, all right, cool. Which they still put him in the Nia Jax angle for a hot second. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and he was just like, this is dumb. But he did everything that he was contractually obligated to do. Yep. And he left on a good note, even though he's never going to come back. But he didn't leave like Punk left. Punk just left. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Punk. I'll Punk never left. say never with the WWE, by the way. No, but no, not, not under Vinnie Mac. Yeah, not under the constant rule, the, no. the, the current rule. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know... 
it's refreshing to see where Moxley's at right now. Those interviews, if you haven't checked them out, the two-parter with Wade Keller is a lot different than the interview with Jericho because there's a lot of things that he talks about with Keller because it happens all after uh, he appears at AEW. Yeah. So, you know, they talk about the pay structure on pay-per-views. They talk about um, creative and the process, the Lesnar match. What went wrong with the Steve Austin interview, the podcast, which is interesting because you see a guy who is basically was handcuffed. Who Austin's asking him all these questions like, hey, why are you not doing everything you're supposed to be doing? He's like, they're not letting me. It's not like when you, when Austin, like, I think he made that great point. Austin 316 was off the cuff. They don't allow off the cuff in WWE now. Everything's scripted. So probably would have never happened under the current rule. So take your time out, watch those, uh, I mean, listen to those, those podcast interviews. I think they're worth your time. No, yeah. So, um, but I mean, Moxley's talking to town, man. So, that was good. Uh, we had Battle of Super Juniors finale, which was incredible, including that Moxley match. But, I mean, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the main event and Will Ospreay versus Shingo. Damn. 30 minutes match of gold. Of match of the year. Match of the motherfucking year. Matt might be. And we'll, we'll touch on another one. It's close. Mm. And this, is, this is the best match so far this year. This, I mean, yes, yeah, we'll talk about TakeOver in a minute. And that match was phenomenal. We are well. spoiled this past week and a half, though. Yeah. All, all the bullshit outside of the ring, you know, to the side and unhappiness and everything. We got three amazing pay-per-view, if that's what we're calling them now, in a row. In a matter of, what, 10 days? Going from Double or Nothing, NXT TakeOver, and then Battle of the Super Juniors finale. Yeah, but this, this Osprey-Shingo match... Shingo entered this final undefeated. Um, Osprey is a guy who was the never open weight champion coming back down to the junior heavyweights, um, but came back with a different style, which was not so much the aerial combat, which he had a little bit of bruiser in him, against a powerhouse like Shingo, who Shingo's wrestling a heavyweight this weekend. So it's, it's, there was a great narrative between these two guys, but this match, I, there has been a match probably, I mean, Okada. And uh, Omega maybe say, oh, my God, quite a few times. But there were so many crazy spots in this match where and it wasn't just like a spot where some flippy shit happened. I'm talking about some great chain wrestling. I'm talking about counters. There was a spot where Shingo flips Osprey and he does damn near 630 and land like just in pancakes. Yep. Or talking about like 630. A, he did a 630 onto standing Shingo's back. I mean, Which is incredible to get that many re- revolutions without a guy on the floor. This this match was unbelievable. If you don't have an opportunity to watch it, it's going to be on Access Television. They're replaying Super Juniors because the response was crazy. It was trending on, on Twitter. I fortunately got a chance to watch it before anybody told me how good it was or spoiled it for me. But good Lord. It's on, Mac- on Friday. Or it's, well, yeah, Friday yes, this week? Tomorrow night. Uh, Friday night, for those listening. Uh, it's Friday night on Access Television. They're replaying that, the Moxie match. Um, and the Tanahashi J White match, which was good as well. But dude, the Shingo Osprey match, unbelievable. No, I mean, amazing, man. I would actually, I would honestly put it in the last decade. It's one of my favorite matches. Period. Period. It might be in my top ten because I was in it from the beginning to end. Usually, I like tune out for a second because it's the, I usually watch this stuff in the morning and I try to do some work. I just stop working. From the minute the match started, I was like, I can't work and watch this. This is ridiculous. No, you had to just full concentration. I I woke up early because I work at 530 at the station, at the news station. I woke up at like 4 to watch these matches. And as soon as the Jay White match was on, I was like, oh, fuck it. I can't, I can't stay here. I went to work early. Got to where you're like 430, 440. 
so I could watch the Moxley match and then watch his main event. And I was just, I went there and I was like, yo, I'm, I'm not here to work. Like, I'm just here, but I got to watch something. So don't bother me for anything news related until like 545, 6 o'clock. And I was just stuck. I couldn't do shit else. It, it was so great, man. So that was great. Um, now we have Dominion coming up. Like you touched on, Ambrose is opening, or Ambrose, Moxley is opening it up. Um, who else do we have on there? Jericho versus Okada for the title. Yeah. Um, who does Tanahashi have? I'm trying to pull this up. The I match mean, card was sick. Naito versus Ibushi for the IC title. Um, Ishii versus Taichi. Uh, yeah, for the Never Open Way title. Uh, I mean, Gorillas I mean, of Destiny versus Evil and Sonata, which never really gets old. <laughs> and, I, and then you have you have Osprey and Ishimori. Like, dude. And we, I mean, it's gonna be good. If, dude, if anybody, this thing says Osprey versus Dragon Lee. Ah, uh, yeah, Dragon Lee. My bad. Dragon Lee's a champion. So Osprey versus Dragon Lee for the for the title, which is going to be ridiculous. Which I hoping we get a Takahashi appearance after. Yeah, I mean, we all hope so, man. The man got injured by Dragon Lee, yeah. so there's there's gotta an bring angle. that full circle. Yeah. So if you're able to stay up, which most of us are not, um, <laughs> I highly suggest to do so because it's going to be a hell of a show. Yeah, you just wake up early. Wake up early and watch it. Uh, thankfully for me, that is my off day. So it, it is on. I'm watching that in real time with Twitter. And then uh, we didn't even touch on it. Abushi versus Naito. No, I mean, I mentioned it, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, we didn't get deep. To, like, yeah, that's such a good match. Um, and they, they got some of the – it's not – it's not like the obvious show stealer anymore because we got this damn <laughs> Osprey match. This is, I mean, they, these, we might have some great matches. Who knows? Jericho and Okada could steal the show. That could be. Oh, man, Jericho still got another one in him. Ah, I don't know. We'll see, man. Jericho's on a nice little second run, too. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, another great piece of wrestling we were talking about NXT TakeOver 25. Oh, NXT takeovers, they're just, at this point, every single one delivers. Yep. So, no, yeah, no no reason to even doubt these shits anymore. Like, it's, NXT isn't even, W. like, don't even besmirch it by putting it in the same realm as the main roster. They got it. They figured it out. It, it was great. Um, first match, Matt Riddle versus Roderick Strong. Thought it was, was a great. great opening match. And I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, is Roderick Strong the most underrated wrestler? Right now, he's always he's always been one of the most underrated wrestlers. I I've said this, he's much better as a heel, and when he's a heel, he he wrestles better. He's one of those guys he has to be a heel. When he's a babyface, the moves don't impact the same. He has a babyface. They told a good babyface story in NXT when he first got there. Yeah, I just didn't care. Like <laughs> I, I knew who Roddy was when I saw him in PWG. I knew who Roddy was when I saw him was a heel in ROH. Wait, huh? Like he's just he's a much better heel. So. This match was a great opener, um, a great finish. You know, these guys put in a lot of work. They set the tone because, obviously, this was a card that people were concerned about. People were not sure what they were going to get out of this card. Um, but they set the tone. Great. Oh, yeah. And then we had tag team ladder match, which the tag team division was kind of left, just high and dry by the War Raiders when they bounced. But uh, I liked how this ladder match played out. It wasn't overly drawn out. It had good spots. Um, the only part I didn't like too much is the Forgotten Sons when, uh, what, Ryder, Jackson Riker, Jackson Riker came out and looked indestructible for like six minutes. Yeah. And they really put him over. 
Um, that that seemed a little unnecessary, but it provided a nice little rest break, I guess, for some people to catch their breath. Um, outside of that, though, I thought it was great, and the Street Profits won. Finally, yeah. my boys, Montez Ford, uh, and Dawkins is tired of being called the Genetti because he had some good ass spots, spear spot, jumping off a ladder. It, it was cool, man. I, I thought it was great. I liked it. I didn't think. I mean, it wasn't like the best tag match ever, but it was good. It was a good match. Um, all those guys worked hard. Uh, and they, you know, it was, it was a solid finish, but that man, they got to relax on the Forgotten Sons. I just, I don't see it. <laughs> they I pushed them strong, yo. Yeah. Jackson Riker was pushed strong. Took what all six of the other people on the teams to beat them down with ladders and finally get them out of the ring. Like, I mean, fuck. And the guy looks the part. I really like, I really like his look. It's to me, he's supposed to be what Baron Corbin is. He's supposed to be I mean, scary. Baron Corbin is no longer scary. Uh, I, I, I like that aspect. I just don't think he should be pegged with the Forgotten Sons, or they should just be lackeys, kind of. Yeah, I mean, this is it's it's a uh, Gunner from Impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who remember Gunner, and it's like he's got all the tools in terms of the look, and he's a decent worker. But you know, this whole just the Forgotten Sons thing sucks to me. I just I don't enjoy it at all. Yeah, they they should have pushed Jackson Riker before they pushed Blake and Cutler. Somehow it was backwards. Yeah, I don't know what that would do. I don't, I don't know. You you push the front guy, right? I'm not bugging. Like, no one's going to push the, the other, what, horsewomen of MMA before they push Shayna. Like, well. they, they worked ass backwards on that. So I didn't like that, but good match. Uh, Velveteen Dream versus Tyler Breeze. I did not like this match. Really? Didn't I like thought it, it was a good match. What was wrong with it? I, I thought they showed out. I thought I thought it was really cool. I I didn't like the ending with the selfie and all this stuff. Like if Dream's gonna work heel, let him work heel. I felt like they tried to steal the show, and they failed. Like, <laughs> damn. Yeah, I mean, look, man. Like I like Velveteen Dream the character more than I like him the wrestler. I still think that he's got some work to do. There were some sloppy spots in this match. Um, I felt like they were trying to do things that like had impact. Um, like, but it just didn't make any sense. Like, for instance, there was a spot where Velveteen Dream was, I believe he's on the top rope, and he just kind of jumped down into that fireman's carry role. And I was like, that was so pointless. Why did he just do that? And it was like, there was a few spots in this match where I was just like, eh, whatever. And then, then the finish was never in doubt. Like, nobody thought Tyler Breeze was going to win. No. Um, but I just, I, I just didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was like It bad. wasn't as good as his Riddle's match. The Riddle match was really good. No, but I just think that this it was trying to be more than it was, um, which it could have just told a great story. But like, all right, cool. But I think it was just trying to do too much, and they were trying to seal the show. And I didn't. I was like, like I was cool. Like once it ended, I was like, good. Let's move on. <laughs> Damn. All right, that's the harshest criticism I've heard for that match. Uh, and then we had Shayna Baszler versus Io Shirai. Um, it's quicker match than I thought it'd be. Io had some good spots. But the, the results have been the same as it's always been with Shayna tapping out an opponent. Um, Shirai goes nuts after, after the decision, beats the hell out of everyone um, with a kendo stick. And then we have Candice LeRae come out. So I, I think it's setting up a triple threat. I think uh, it's all set up for Candice LeRae to kind of build her, her shine and finally beat the big bad bully, become the super baby face. But uh, Io Shirai... She's still she has a spot, and for all purposes, she's the best women's wrestler in the world. So it, it's kind of hard to use her as a transitional piece. Yeah, like this again. 
I said I said last week, if if she if Shayna's not champ, then what is she? Right? So that's why I thought, you know, she might win. And she's stuck. I mean, they're stuck. Because that's the exact problem. They, I'm yeah, sure they would love to move the belt off her, but they're stuck. They're, they're stuck in a spot where they have this champ who they kind of put the title on really quick. And now they can't really get it off of her because they have nowhere to put her. And Shayna's still, she's over in a way that's like, she has the look. She looks like she should be a top talent. But her work is still a little shaky. It's gotten better. She's a good bully. But they keep putting her in there with very talented people, which helps. Right. So, But there's nowhere to put her on the main roster right now. So if she's not the champion of NXT and her time is up, what do you do? Just hide her for six months? I don't know. So you have this match with Io Shirai. And Io is easily one of the top three women in pro wrestling, period. Mm -hmm. And... And she loses. And I, I didn't so much have a problem with her losing, even though I thought Io should win. But I had a problem with the finish. Because I'm tired of seeing the same Shayna Baszler finish. It happens the same yeah. way every Mistakenly match. jump into the, to the what, Kohina clutch and then can't escape it. Yeah, it's just, it's like, come on, guys. Can we yeah. be a little bit like more she, creative? She's taking an ass whooping, taking an ass whooping. They mistakenly jump into it. It, it, it's the, the finish is silly. They need to find a, a more original way to find a, to have her win. Um, and it's just her time is up. Her time is she's, her time was up, and it came too soon. Because the other issue is you got you got Marina Shafir and Jessamyn Duke with her, who are green as grass and can't do shit in the ring. So she, it's not like she has a crew where she can go into the tag team division for the women, which the Iconics haven't defended that title in ages. But, uh, and they're great regardless of it. Nah, I'm kind of over it now. I was cool on it before, but now I'm over it. But iconic. But they're they're the perfect example of not needing the titles for that gimmick. Um, it's just, the titles don't add anything to the gimmick, even though that new shirt is dope. I gotta buy the shirt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so ultimately, this match was it was what it was. I don't necessarily think they need to go to a triple threat. I think if somebody's gonna beat Shane, it needs to be one on one. I don't need Shane to get an escape. A bully doesn't need an escape loss at a triple threat, which you can use an excuse. I think you're gonna legitimately pass the belt to Candice LeRae or Shane or uh, Io Shirai. Needs to be a one-on-one match. That's the only way to do it. Um, maybe EO and Candice will have a feud later. Or Bianca re-enters the picture. Or maybe Mia Yim jumps in there somewhere. But right now, I think EO needs to take the title off of Shayna Baszler. And then you can work into a Candice program. I'll be all right with that. Whatever I think they're building, there's no DQ stipulation, though. Um, yeah, which is silly in itself because it's just like EO just going crazy like she did was like. Uh. I mean, she did it a couple of weeks before on NXT too, like on television, and then they introduced the candlestick. Now there's a chair. Now there's like there's so many weapons and stuff. I, I think we're just gonna see a no DQ stipulation or or something. You know, sometimes I mean, you're probably. I'm not saying you're wrong. I think no. you're probably right. It just feels weird that the way that they're doing it. It's just like, oh, she's gonna start beating up. Shayna, usually you, you gotta protect Shayna. At this point, they've boxed themselves into a corner. Yeah, I mean, usually you know she was using the kendo stick uh, to ward off everybody. Yeah, you know when Jessica Duke and them came, but they didn't come out. <laughs> they, they just well, got. They did come out and got wrecked by a kendo stick. By uh, well, by... I'm talking about in the post match. Oh, and in the post match, they were still down. They were still down on the ground. Yes, there was really no reason for it, but uh, I guess you're trying to establish something. Whatever. Yeah, and then uh, Candice LeRae passed her the chair. Uh, I mean, it's it's a complicated storyline, but at this point, the whole shit's complicated because Shayna has nothing else to do. Um, and then the main event: Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. Well, this was my ma- match of the year for like a week. <laughs> yeah, like 48 <laughs> hours. <laughs> he threw 48 hours. Um, man, incredible match though. So. 
These two, um, I mean, I, I'm, let's see a rubber match, right? Like, I'm, I'm good. And I, first off, gotta give props, Josiah, Josiah Williams, rapping Adam Cole down to the ring, wrestle and flow. Uh, man, I told him on the podcast when he came on, I was like, yo, you're in for big things. Like, shit's about to explode. He's like, man, thank you. I was like, you're doing great. He's just so humble and so cool. And he had him, he had just been to his first WWE event. Yep. And then now it's four months since that podcast. We saw him at Mania. He gets hired. He's down in Orlando. He's on the fucking takeover special, rapping Adam Cole to the ring in four months. So, uh, man, he's a great guy. Uh, nothing but the best to him. And that shit, that shit made me pop when he came out. Yeah, that was dope. So uh, that was great. Then the match itself, man, it, it was just back and forth. Great finishers. There was uh, spots on the outside that were really cool. Um, little little things too, like. They had their spots on the outside. They almost got counted out. Adam Cole rolls in. Gargano, instead of rolling straight in, hops up on the apron, delivers the DDT. Like, little shit like that. The false finishes were great. And then Adam Cole finally pulling it out. It took, like, five finishers, but finally. It was it was the match of the year. And Meltzer's gone star crazy. And he's like, <laughs> his two top matches, I believe, are Omega and Tanahashi and, and, and Gargano and Cole, the first one. I think this was much better than their first match. I think so, too. Did he drop the star rankings for this one yet? He hasn't. And if he doesn't give this a six, then I don't know what the point is. Um, because, you know, he gave those a five and a half. And I thought Gargano Cole 2 was much better. Not even much better. It was better than Omega Tanahashi. Because the Omega Tanahashi finish at Wrestle Kingdom was kind of flat. Um, and the first Cole Gargano match was started slow. The first fall was slow. This... Just the chain wrestling from the beginning, the near falls, the super kick when Gargano went for the dive on the outside. Oh, great, um, yeah. There was some great psychology here that you mentioned, like Cole faking for the Undisputed Era to come out after the ref bump, and they didn't. Um, and he used MJF's little pile driver finish, um, and that didn't get. That was for a near fall. Um, the, the leg work was excellent. I mean, there was so like the 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 counters. This was the match of the year until Shingo and Osprey wrestled, and it's no matter what. It's going to be hard to beat those two matches for match of the year. This, I mean, and we got more to go, which leads me into my next thing, because we don't have a whole lot of time left. But there needs to be a legitimate conversation about Johnny Gargano, A, being the best talent to ever be in NXT. I agree. I think it, it, best NXT career, easy. I mean, guy has 15 takeovers out of 25. Like, he is Johnny Takeover. Yeah. B, he's the best wrestler on the WWE roster in the last three years. For the last three years. Overall body of work. I who's, think it's who, I think no one, it's hard to argue. I, I think you're right. No one has had the yeah. consistency over three years. AJ had a great year. Uh Kevin had a great year when he was like off of that John Cena stuff. And when he was champion, he, he had a great run. Um Seth has had a good run lately. That's it. Everything else is like force feed Roman Reigns, right? Like Yeah. That's that's been their narrative. Like no one has had a run like this on the main roster. Um, you know, there was a, a run of matches where I really liked Joe's stuff, but, but it wasn't like this. No, no, no. No one's consistently doing this. I can't think of the last time someone did this consistently. Summer Punk. Even that wasn't a run like this, and it, it speaks to two things. One, to think, yeah, I don't know last time the WWE let someone have a run like this from tag to singles, which you hold the mid-card title, to work your way up in the most heated feud shit this decade in the WWE. 
and it was just so organic. And then you finally climb over the top, and you're the underdog, and finally win the title and Grand Slam champion. It was perfect. Played out perfectly. No, I don't. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard because it speaks to the main roster and how the main roster really bogs down the talent. They don't give them the time to perform. They don't give them really anything. But it's what Gargano has managed to do on NXT as part of DIY, as, you know, as a heel when you face Black, as a baby face chasing the belt when you face Andrade, um, being the champion when you face Cole, chasing the champion. Like, everything that Gargano has done has been pitch perfect. And then it leads me to my third thing. Gargano is top three, period, right now. In, in the this world. current era. Period. There's Omega, Gargano, probably, and there's Okada. Then you got, like, Osprey and hmm, Ibushi. Ibushi, um, Osprey. Ooh, tag teams count? I mean, the Bucks haven't missed. Uh, the Bucks haven't missed, but... And, and I'll give the Revivals up there. Um, yeah, but but see the revival fuck. they haven't done singles like what what Gargano has done. That's what I'm asking. Like, do tag teams count? Because if they don't yeah. count, then mm. no, they they can count. But I'm just saying it's, it's hard because what Gargano has done as part of DIY to everything else he's done as a singles competitor, it's hard to find anybody that has done that much. Like the D- only thing that put- DIY was a top five tag team in the world. Yeah, and then only- he went on to get even bigger. I mean, it's almost Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart-esque what he's doing right now. He's separating because he was a singles wrestler first, jumped into a tag team, jumped back out of a tag team, and just never fell off. More importantly, the only reason why I could have, like, there was a conversation to be had that he might be having a better run the past three years than Omega. And the only reason why I say that is because Omega hasn't had as many matches that have been, like, he like he kind of disappeared for a minute. Yeah. So obviously the Okada Omega matches are the pinnacle, right? For a lot of people in pro wrestling. So it's hard for Gargano to pass surpass any of those. Um but, but he then, has classics in his own right. Right. So he has his own batch of classics with other people. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Omega had a phenomenal match with Naito, he had a phenomenal match with uh Ubushi, Tanahashi. Um, Tanahashi. Like Omega's pretty much done it all. Um, yeah, I mean, shit, Pentagon Jr. Like he, like he's done everything, but Gargano is just like be, he's right there. He's right there with with what he's done. Osprey, like I'll go to the PWG thing. Like one of one of my five, I've never had a six uh, six man tag that I was like that's a five star match. But the Bola match at PWG 2016 with the Bucks and Cole versus uh, Matt Seidel, Ricochet, and Osprey. Mm-hmm. If you've never seen it, you have to watch it. Osprey is ridiculous. But, I mean, dude, this body of work is unbelievable. Yeah, it's, I mean, to that point, so is Ricochet. So, like, if, if Ricochet went to New Japan instead of NXT, I mean... Well, Ricochet was in New Japan. He didn't have five-star matches like this. I, I, don't, I don't know if they... He never got a chance to be a heavy... He won dude, Super he, Juniors and then he had a was out. Super juniors. He, like, he had a chance. Like, he, he had a run. He was in he PW... Did. Yeah, hit he's Super Juniors, PWG, he was the heavyweight champion, which those done. matches were fucking incredible. Him versus Keith Lee versus uh Versus oh. Jeff Cobb. Jeff Cobb? What? 
When but he's was, pulling out suplexes and power moves on their big ass, that shows incredible. But it was not as good as Gargano's run. He's not touching Gargano's run. No, but Rick he's up there. He's not. If I had to do top three, top ten in the past three years, top five, he's up there. He's not top five. He's top ten. Mm, he might be outside the top ten, too. Oh, you just... Just right off my parade because I was stand for Ricochet. No, but no, no, like, I'm, I'm saying legitimately, if you look at guys, if you if you go the past five years, you got like it's it's a tough spot. Omega, Okada, Tanahashi, Ibushi, Naito. Like I can't like even Naito is probably outside of my top ten. Just in ring, in ring. I love the character. I love Naito, everything he does. But like in ring classics, yeah, he's a little bit outside. Dude, I mean, you need to go back and watch the work that he put in in G1 two years ago. I'm saying Ricochet hasn't had that level. Like Naito in uh top five PWG Ricochet is fucking nuts though. But he's he's not five star nuts. Like Osprey Ricochet flippy shit match wasn't five star nuts. Osprey Ricochet the flippy match was not a five star match. I enjoyed it for this acrobatics, but it, it, it wasn't <laughs> okay, a five star. Okay, he gave that shit like four point two five because he didn't like the flippy shit. I, I wouldn't give it a four point two, but it wasn't a five star match. Like it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't what we just saw Gargano do. No, and, I argue Osprey and and uh, Ricochet had two damn near five star matches. If you want to go four point seven five, all right, cool, you're, you're splitting hairs. But those two chemistry together was insane. I, I mean, again, it was great, but I think Osprey's better than Ricochet. I think Osprey has has had more tools. Like Osprey's had just better matches. Ricochet is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. No, Osprey at this point, I'd say this past year separated him. I'm just saying, like the, he's the, on one hell of a run, man. The the pinnacle of pro wrestling right now, the elite talent that we have, the fact that I can say that Ricochet might not be in the top ten, I really have to break this down, says a lot about the talent, and it oh, says yeah. even more when I'm saying that Gargano, a guy who's in the WWE right now in NXT, might be the best guy in the business. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. I mean, he's so versatile. You can't you can't hate on the on the resume, man. So they, he just keeps adding to it, and hopefully they run it back for SummerSlam in uh, Toronto. So that'd be great. Um, fuck it, I don't even Crown Jewels this weekend. Undertaker or Goldberg? Uh, we'll talk about it. Next we, week. We, <laughs> I, 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 have I saw this. Life, life. I saw this on the on the rundown. I was like, what the? How the fuck are we close? Why did I put this at the end, knowing we're not going to talk about it? Like, just pick, just pick who's gonna win, Goldberg or Undertaker? Undertaker. I'll take Goldberg. The the fact of the matter is, I don't care. No, I don't care either. But I feel like they'll get a little more legs out of Goldie. (sighs) Jesus. They'll put him on like SummerSlam. Way to go, man. Let's end the show. (laughs) Just, just end it on a sour note. This is what the main roster does to people. Uh, nah, man. So another great show. We want to thank you guys for listening. Two hours on this show, but we had a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, make sure you guys follow us on social media at the Corner LSN on all platforms. Me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. Subscribe to Patreon. I have some really cool ideas for Patreon going forward, and uh, just upping the level of consistency on there and giving you more exclusive content for the people who have been following. Uh, the T-shirts I think went out today. Um, if not, they're being mailed out tomorrow. Thank you guys for giving me all your addresses and sizes. So the Corner Podcast t-shirts are going out in the mail to you guys. Um, and yeah, like I said, on there right now is some cool highlights of our live show, Corner and Friends Podcast. Some old man Andreas stories. Uh, a couple of our hot takes that we did live on stage, like to pimp a butterfly, is 
overrated because it had no Stop. replay value. Um, you can see how the crowd reacted and all that stuff. So highlights are up on Patreon. Thank you, guys. Until next week, though, we're out. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.